I think he recognizes that sometimes he's just caught up in that cycle of outrage. That cycle of outrage, it just it, there's no room for for like there's no room to step back and to sort of reset. It's, it's it's just constant outrage, constantly under attack, and then there's these words that get thrown around that sort of lose their meaning, like globalists, you know, and shills, and 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 you know, and this this sort of like attitude that there's this there's this cabal of evil that is trying to take take over the world. And at one point, they're talking about Alex Jones right now. This is actually from a podcast with Jimmy Dore. And Joe Rogan, 2018. Alex had this idea that they were going to try to kill off most people. Yeah. And you remember that? <clears throat> I heard about it. There was this idea that they wanted to uh, euthanize, or ge- it was genocide. They wanted, to, they wanted to break it down to, what is the word where they talk about doing that? I, I think they're talking about eugenics, I think. But I also think they're talking about those stones in the mountain there, the North, what are they called? The guide stones. I think he's talking about the Guidestones. To, to talk about reducing the population. There's like some sort of a conspiracy theorist term of reduction of population to a sustainable number of super evil geniuses that could live forever. And they wanted to get it down to like, you know, 500, 500 million 500 people million. worldwide that can live for a million years or some crazy shit. What a difference five years make. Now, everybody, I don't adhere to the philosophy that or the the, the, the theory that whatever's going on is deliberate population control, but it's certainly much less preposterous or outlandish than it might have been five years ago. And at the end of the day, like I say, whether or not it's deliberate um, genocidal population control disguised as whatever versus just absolutely idiotic policy that is going to have uh, something of a lasting impact on global population for a generation the only difference there, ladies and gentlemen, is one of intent, not one of outcome. Because I made, I made the joke a little while ago, if the theory were that you wanted to reduce global population, uh, you wanted to decimate a generation, render people potentially, you know, issues with reproductivity, what, and you wanted to do it in a way that you'd not get caught, what would you be doing differently? Uh, so I was watching these, these, these podcasts. It's amazing. You go back five years, the world was different. What was outlandish then, not so outlandish now, even if you don't agree with it. And I've watched hours and hours of Jimmy Dore over the last um, days, and it's fantastic. I know him better than I think he knows that I know him. Uh, now, Jimmy Dore is in the back right now, so I'm not going to go on longer than I have to with the intro. For a second, I was a little nervous. Uh, he wasn't going to come, but he came. He's here. Uh, standard disclaimers, uh, you know, the whole thing, no legal advice, medical advice, and election fortification advice. I've, I've starred a few super chats. I'm going to look at the Rumble rants. We're going to try to get to some questions. We're going to go exclusive to Rumble. I don't know, 15 minutes in after we delve into Joe, Joey, Jimmy's uh, childhood, because it's interesting. Um, and uh, that's it. So without further ado, ado, I see Jimmy in the background. Jimmy, get ready. Coming in. Three, two, one. Coming in hot, Jimmy, sir. Okay, how you doing? Good to be here. Uh, it's it is so bizarre to me. I've, I've been watching you for the last three days. You don't know it. <laughs> I've been I've been cyber stalking, and I'm joking. But I've been watching you know interviews going back, and I've been listening to you for a while. And it's fantastic to finally meet you. Likewise, I appreciate it. Um, 
I, I wonder. I'm curious to see what you found it over the last three days watching me. I, I got. Uh, well, I got. Well, there's a number of things. The podcasts with um, Joe Rogan, Wikipedia, uh, stuff on the Young Turks. Oh, we're, we're going to get into. It. We're going to get into the bottom line. You have Jimmy Dirtbag Left Door on your left on your on your on your screen. I don't know what separates left and right anymore. And we're going to get into this in a bit because I, I don't think there's much that you say that I disagree with. I don't think there's much that this side of the aisle says that you disagree with, save and except for certain policies, universal health care. We'll get there. But Jimmy, okay, for those who don't know who you are, 30,000 foot overview before I go further into your childhood than I think you might want me to. Who are you um, for those who may not know? So I'm a, I've been a stand-up comedian um, had a couple of Comedy Central specials, uh, did a lot of late night television, um, had a public radio television show, had a special called Citizen Jimmy in 2008 that was chosen best of the year that led to me getting a national radio show, which then led me to be on the Young Turks, which then led me to start my own show. And so now I've become who I am, which is a populist lefty who, uh, won't participate in the two-party corporate duopoly, and I'm not going to pretend that uh, voting for Joe Biden was going to make one bit of a difference. In fact, I make the argument that Thomas Frank made in his book, Listen Liberal, that oftentimes a Democrat is the greater evil. And so, you know, who else made that at the Black Agenda Report? Glenn Ford said that, that uh, Obama was the greater evil. So was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton did stuff that hurt the workers and unions that J George Bush the first could never do, like NAFTA. George Bush the first tried to pass Na NAFTA. He couldn't do it because the blue dog Democrats wouldn't cross the unions. Well, then Bill Clinton became president and he gave cover to those blue dog Democrats to cut the legs out underneath unions for a generation, which they did. So that's where that's the 30,000 view. That's where I come from. I still do stand up comedy. I have a new special coming out very soon, and uh, I think it's going to be called All, uh, "Covid Lies Are Funny," and um, and lately, so what what got me on the outs with the Democratic Party and people who used to be my friends in Hollywood was that after the Democrats cheated Bernie in 2016, which is not a conspiracy theory, it was admitted to by everybody, including Elizabeth Warren and Donna Brazile. She found the contract that, that Hillary Clinton had with the DNC saying that she would be controlling the DNC during the primary, which is unethical and illegal and all that stuff. So anyway, and Bernie Sanders didn't make them pay a price for that at all. They screwed Bernie over and he allowed them to still have super delegates, take all the corporate money they want and all that stuff and nothing ever changed. And so then they did it again. And so I'd been done with the Democrats and I wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton because I said that just things just get worse every four years. They're always going to find a monster that's that's worse than them or they can prop them up. And it turns out, you know, Trump didn't govern any really different than any of the uniparty because because Barack Obama was not a departure from George Bush. He took us from two wars to seven. He kicked five point one million families out of their homes and he made the while he made sure the bankers got their bonuses. He deported twice as many Hispanics as Donald Trump. He built the cages they put those immigrant kids in. He dropped more bombs than George W. Bush. He was he and he gave us a right wing health care plan, which is a giveaway to health insurance and big pharma instead of what he promised, which was a public option and uh, Medicare for all. He didn't codify Road versus Wade, which is what he said he would do on day one. He would give abortion rights to women. He didn't do it. He said, that's not that important to me. Why? Because they have nothing else to run on, because fundamentally, the Democrats and Republicans are the same. Barack Obama even 
said so in an interview with Venezuelan television in 2012. He said, if you look at my policies, they would be considered moderate Republican if this was 1984. And so he's so that there is no left in America. And that's what people don't realize. They think AOC and Bernie, they're left. No, what they're do, there to do is to make sure they funnel the progressive revolutionary energy back into a pro Wall Street anti-worker pro-war party. And that's exactly what they've been doing. And they've been voting along with war. They're war pigs. Bernie Sanders is a big war pig. I don't think you can be a lefty and vote to send $100 billion to a bunch of Nazis in Ukraine fighting a proxy war over liquefied natural gas. And this is an economic fight. We all knew it. In fact, Angela Merkel just admitted that the only reason that they did the the Minsk agreement, which was in 2015, that was the peace agreement between the Russian speaking and the Eastern part of Ukraine and the Ukraine government. The reason why they did that was to buy time so Ukraine could build up their military. So when they did provoke Russia to invade Ukraine, they would have a military to fight back. So we're using the Ukrainians as cannon fodder. And people in America have been so propagandized. They look at people in Ukraine who are literal Nazis and they're told that they're freedom fighters and they don't know anything better because they've been so propagandized. But what's even worse is they don't know that they don't know anything. Jimmy, I mean, they just need to go back and see videos from 2016 about the Nazi problem in the Ukraine. Uh, okay, but hold up. That was a mouthful, which I'm undoubtedly going to clip because it's fantastic. And we're going we're gonna to get into all of that. Before we even get there now, Jimmy, Dor- you're, you're, how old are you, if I may ask? Um, I turned 40 17 years ago. So you're 57 years old. That's a, a young old man or an old young man. Uh, from Wikipedia, it says you're the young, you're seventh of eleven kids. Uh, no, I was uh, no, that's not correct. I had uh, I had twelve siblings, and I was number eleven. I have one younger sister who who was adopted. Okay. So, so I was the last natural born child of my mother. We were born Irish Catholic. It's a long story, but we had 10 kids and then my mom adopted two more. One, a boy older than me and a girl younger than me. Uh, Okay, I had no idea. May I ask what would possess anybody to adopt two additional children after having had 10? I don't know. My my theory was that my mother didn't know what to do with herself if she wasn't taking care of a baby. She wanted a baby, right? And she did, like, I think she felt like she, she missed having a baby because when she had babies, she had to take care of all these other kids. So she wanted, and so she went to Catholic charities, which has foster kids and she asked for a baby and they said, we don't have a baby, but we have this third grade kid. Would you want to take this third grade kid? And she took them. Um, and I said, why would, why did you do that? And she said, because I wanted to get in good with them. So then they'll give me a baby. And I thought that was crazy. And sure enough, like, I don't know, eight months later, they gave her a baby. And uh, so then I got to have a little sister, which was great. I always I appreciated having a little sister. So uh, that's that's the only thing I can think of why she uh, would do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I won't spend, I won't get too far into this. But what's it what's it like? Ten kids, I presume. By the time you're you're the young kid, the older ones have already moved out of the house. So there's not ten people living under one roof. Right. What's it like? Um, what's it like for a, a third grade kid to come into somebody else's house and be the new the new kid, but be someone else's kid? Boy, I don't know. I, you have to ask my brother, Eddie. I don't know. Uh, he adapted. Uh, I, okay. I really, I can't tell you that. Okay. Now one, one story I was listening to Joe and the story, which it's, you make it funny, but it's not funny at all. First of all, I, I always thought, I didn't know you came from an Irish Catholic family. And then when I re- read that, I got to the part of the, um, Joe Rogan podcast where you're describing water skiing with a priest, um, and have you making jokes about having been, 
groped or you know touched inappropriately by an, an adult and if you can tell the story i don't want to i don't want to s- steal the thunder but you, you you come from a religious family and the problems with the church or the problems that we know of and you experience them not um as not as thoroughly as others but you had your own uh brush with with being fondled by by religious people so was this there was this priest father Hallahan. And it was at Our Lady of the Snows Paris on the southwest side of Chicago. And when I got into eighth grade, he uh, he had a um, he became our new pastor. So he was from another church and he came and he was the new boss. And um, he had a house on a lake uh, up in uh, about 40 minutes north of Chicago on a lake. And he had a house with a boat. And um, so he would take like five kids, five boys uh on the weekend on a saturday drive us up there and then he was under the guys that were going to go out on his boat he's going to teach us how to ski and stuff and so he had the day it was so funny so he had the day rigged he had it set up that you would have to do some work and then you could do play like you had to do some yard work or you had to clean something and and then you could go do play and then you had to do some more work and then you could do more play and the reason why he had it set up like that was because each time he had changed the activity you had to change your clothes and so everybody had to go into a room and we would all change our clothes together at the same time. And then he would find a reason to come in the room. And then he would always start wrestling with someone. And he's not that kind of a guy. He was like a real soy boy toy. I don't know if that's the term, whatever that means. He was never, he's not that kind of a guy. And um, it was, we knew what he was doing and we knew who he was. The boys did. Like we knew he's, a, we used to call him um, Happy Hands Hollahan. Right. And we knew he was a toucher, as they say. Right. So this guy was a molester. And uh, so but we wanted to go on his boat. And uh, so we knew it was like it was your duty to stay away from him. Like we know he's a pedophile. And so it's up to you to stay away from him. You don't let him touch you. But he got a couple of them. He got I remember he got this guy, Danny Dominic. And um, I remember I broke his gumball machine trying to get away from him. But uh he, he he would try to teach you how to ski. I don't know if you've ever learned how to water ski. The way they teach you how to water ski is they just put, just like riding a bike, they put you in fucking water skis and then they pull it and you try to get up. That's how. And uh, so he was going to teach you how to. So you he took you in the shallow water and then he would put his arms, his hands cups underneath your balls from front and back. And then he would go, OK, when the boat takes away, you're going to get pulled up and then you got to go. And he was and we all saw what he was doing. Like, I didn't let him do that to me. He started doing it with Danny Dominic. And then uh, he's like, do that. And we're, and we're watching. And Danny looks at it, he goes, help me. And we all just started <laughs> laughing. Because that's how kids react. That's how an eighth grade kid reacts to somebody getting molested right in front of them. They start laughing. It was funny. And um, it was funny to us at the time. So the- and then I got a, then I faked a stomach ache. Uh, I remember I had a, stu- I don't know if I faked it. I think I actually did get a stomach ache. It's hard to remember. It was a long time ago. But well, I remember that- I didn't get, I didn't get fully molested. He tried several times, but I didn't get fully molested. And people are saying in the chat, you know, my, my dad would have shot him. This it's this is an interesting, it, it could be funny at the time and maybe even, you know, humorous in retrospect, but at, at some point in your life, does this not become a traumatizing event? And and did everybody around you, your parents, did they know what was going on at the time or, or is it like a... So, no, we got in trouble for talking about it. Like if we, I, you know, we would, we called him Happy Hands Hollahan. We call him Happy Hands because he would always grab you, but he would see you. 
And like our parents didn't go, huh? Well, I wonder why they call him Happy Hands, Hollahan. They just go, don't call him that. That's disrespectful. I mean, that's the way it was back then. That's why the Catholic Church was able to get away with that for so long. And you know, that's that's but that but I don't that didn't scar me. What scarred me, what scarred me, what scarred, what scarred me was um when I made my if you're a Catholic, you make your they call it confirmation. Yeah. And if you're Jewish, I think it's like kind of like their bar mitzvah. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with it's a re, it's a reaffirmation of the baptism that occurred when you were a baby type thing. Yeah. So what you get you get baptized when you're a baby, which means it's supposed to mean that if you die, you won't go to hell. You've now been cleansed of your original sin or whatever. But then you got to fucking do that again with this confirmation thing. The confirmation thing I was told is when you accept the Holy Spirit into your heart. So it's, it's kind of hokey spokesy and um, uh, so the bishop comes to the church, right? And so that's a big deal. The bishop's going to come to your church. And in Chicago, the bishop's a big, especially when I was a kid in the 70s, I knew who the bishop was because he was on TV all the time. It was before the internet. So there's only three TV stations. And the bishop was always, it was the cardinal, Cardinal Cody. He was always on the TV. And so, oh, the cardinal's coming. He's going to come. Like, oh, I was excited. And my dad, He's a guy who was what they call him lectors. He would he's a reader at church. So he's a lay person. He wasn't, but he would they would one of the readings from the Bible he would read every week, right? So so for my confirmation, he was the reader guy. So he said, Hey, come before the thing, come backstage and you can meet the cardinal, right? And um, so I was like, All right. So we go back there, and I was an altar boy, so I was familiar with being backstage. And um the door opens and I'm so excited. I'm going to meet the Cardinal. And it's another guy. It wasn't the Cardinal at all. It was just some jamoke I had never seen before. And my dad immediately kneels down and takes his hand and kisses the ring. And I was just like, I like this. I go, what in the fuck is going on? That's just a guy. And so I was just, and my dad was like, do you want to? And I'm like, no. Oh. I couldn't even give a shit. And uh, I certainly didn't fucking kneel down in front of him like my dad did. It really, really bothered me. And so afterwards, I asked my dad, why did you do that? Why did you kneel down and kiss that guy's ring? Uh, and he said, well, he's the he's the bishop. I go, that's not the bishop. And he said, oh, well, the bishop's really busy, Jimmy. He can't be everywhere. You know, it's like Santa Claus. So he has helpers. So I was like, oh, the bishop has a helper. So he's like the bishop, but he's not the bishop. And my dad said, yeah, like that. He has all the powers of the bishop. And I go, so why did you kneel down in front of him and kiss his ring? And he said, I wasn't kissing his ring. I was kissing the, there's a so, holy jewel. And that's special and sacred. And I was kissing that. And I go, oh, really? He just happens to wear it on his ring finger, on a ring that you kissed. And that um, scarred me. Like How old were you? How old in, were you? At so what? How old? However old you are in seventh grade, I was in seventh okay. grade. 13, 13, 14. Uh, okay. Like that, twelve or thirteen, and um, that scarred me. So that's that that that's in Jungian terms that helped build my father complex. And uh, well, is it is what scarred you about it? Seeing your your father be subservient to yeah. another human? Yes. To 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 be betray. Like I was taught in Catholic school that 
there's Pharisees and they're just men and they're the ones who wanted people to bow down to them and they're the ones who persecuted Jesus. They were the religious people, the Pharisees, and then here comes these fucking guys dressed just like the Pharisees in my religious textbooks that are, you know, they're drawn to look like they're still dressing like that from 2000 fucking years ago. And my dad kneels down in front of him and I don't even know who this guy is. And it's just a person. And I just knew it instinctively. So in a, maybe in a good way, the, the silver lining was it just solidified like this is bullshit to me that this is about hierarchy and dogma. And this isn't about spirituality. And it isn't mm-hmm. uh, the Catholic. You know, I think most denominations, whether it be. You know, I go to all, I still go to, I go to church though, because my mother-in-law likes to go to church. So I'll go with her. And uh, so we go to all different kinds of churches and I haven't been to a church yet that gets the meaning of the Bible. So they all, they all get, it's all very surface level. They have no idea what it's actually about. They have no idea about how to go inward. They all, God is always external. God is not external. God is inward. As Carl Jung says, those who look outward dream, those who look inward awake. Okay, uh, now without we, I don't think we're gonna we're not gonna spend the whole time on your childhood. But other than the occasional molestation from a from a high priest and your dad being subservient to the very same institution that was doing this at the same time, yeah. um, normal childhood. Uh, how, how do you go from how do you go from that into into stand up comedy? So I don't know what a normal people would always say. Hey, what's it like growing up in a big family? And I didn't know what to say because I don't have anything. You don't know what you are until you go experience something else that you could compare it to. So they say, like, you don't, you know, you don't know your home, hometown until you leave it. So I didn't really know what it was like growing up in my family until I wasn't. And it was, you know, fucking chaotic all the time with no boundaries whatsoever. That was the big thing. You didn't have any boundaries. You got all those people living in one house. So you don't have the, those kind of boundaries. So you had to figure learn. And so I was constantly crossing other people's boundaries in life when I went into the world, you know, and when I went away to college and stuff like that. And I had to realize, oh, I had to fight. That was a big thing for me to figure out where my boundaries were and where other people's were. So that was the one thing I had to. But I became a stand-up comedian because when I got out of college, I got a degree in marketing communications. And I was supposed to go into advertising. I was going to write advertising copy. And um, I just started doing stand-up comedy that summer instead. I went up on an open mic because I'd seen people on television that I was fucking sure I was funnier than. And I'm like, well, if they could be on TV, I bet I could do it in a club. And I was right. And so I immediately started getting work right away. They started paying me like couple months after I started doing open mics, I started getting paid. And I was like, well, are you fucking kidding me? I was getting paid as much to do that as I was to do brickwork. Uh, and I was just like, this is amazing. At sometimes I would go, <laughs> from the first time I went out of town to do comedy in Milwaukee, I had so much fun. I got, I forgot to get paid. <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and anybody who has never experienced the expression, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, yeah. w- won't appreciate that. But and what was the nature early on? What's the nature of the comedy? Observational? Was it political or was it uh, apolitical? No, it was, you know, I just talked about whatever. I just tried to get a laugh. You know, when you first start, it's just it's just trying to figure out how to how do I get a laugh on stage? It's a, such a different thing to get in a laugh in real life or off stage. And uh, it just I started to talk about my family a little bit more. But then after the Iraq war, so about 10 or 10, 11 years in the Iraq war happened. And that kind of changed everything for me. Uh, Iraq war number one or Iraq war number two? Number two. Number two. Uh, You know, to be a good stand-up comic, you have to be able to read people, read a room. Do you acquire that skill or was it a skill that you knew that you had already 
and you honed it through stand up. I think what I when I when a when I quote unquote read a room, it's like I can sense the, the mood of the crowd. What 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 you know what I'm going to need to make this joke go over. How do am I going to be able to present this joke? How do I present this? How how do I create the conditions in this room that will help my joke succeed? And that's what I do. So sometimes it's you got to be you got to be quieter and softer when the crowd's a little rowdy. You'd be quieter when the crowd's a little crowd well, quiet. You'd be a little more rowdy. You bring so you know it's it's a dance, right? And so it's different every time and every night and every time you get up, it's different. It is like dancing, and some people are good at dancing and they have a rhythm. You know, Jerry Seinfeld said that good stand-up comedians could have been. He said, "I think most good stand-up comedians could have been a drummer." And I know Bill Burr is a big drummer, uh, actually really good. So I I I, I agree with that. It's about rhythm. And I've always had rhythm and I could always dance and stuff like that. So uh, that's what I think when I hear read the room, it's just about sensing their energy and knowing how to flow with it. To right. not, not to change who you are, but to create the conditions that will give your jokes the best opportunity to succeed. All right. Now I think we're going to end this on, on, on YouTube. We're going to stay here. I'm just going to, I'm going to click one button because we're going to go over exclusively to rumble. I didn't put the link. That's the one thing I, I, everybody in the chat, I asked if I had forgotten something to do and it was to put the link to rumble. Cause we're going there now. I flagged some of the comments. Uh, Cause there's some questions, some super chats and, and they're good. Cause we're going to get into all of this. So ending on YouTube now, come on over to rumble where we're going to carry this on. Cause now we're going to get into the politics of this. You, I don't know where you acquired the wealth of information you did, but the, the marriage between politics and, and comedy is what makes what what makes you fascinating so everybody go to rumble we're ending on youtube in three two one now um okay so you say this the second iraq war changed you and jimmy not to say that you're cynical not to say that um i think we've all gotten a dose of the red pill of uh, you know some of us have gotten a heavy dose and some of us have gotten it rectally uh, so to speak when First of all, how do you how do you qualify yourself politically speaking? The, the internet says you were a Reagan Democrat. I don't, or your family was. I don't even know what that means. How how were you brought up? So my father was what they call a Reagan Democrat. So they he was uh, he was a guy who voted Democrat his whole life, and then when Reagan came along, he voted for him. Actually, my dad voted for an independent the first time in 1980, which was kind of a, not that you mentioned it, but he did then go ahead and vote for him in '84. So uh, they, they called those people, people who were traditional blue collar people who always voted Democrat, who Reagan appealed to. So they called them Reagan Democrats. Um, but uh, I was, you know, Bill Clinton woke me. I, I got woken up by Bill Clinton. I'm like, oh, he's no friend of the working man. I could tell when he did NAFTA and then he deregulated Wall Street, which crashed our economy within 10 years, just like they said it would. And of course, all his friends got rich and everybody else got poor. So I knew that he was no friend of the working man. And then I saw that they were both warmongers, both parties, because of the Iraq war, the second one. And uh, and then Barack Obama had big hopes for him. But of course, if someone like him is allowed to become president, it's only because the establishment is OK with that. And then it was revealed by WikiLeaks that his ca entire cabinet was chosen by an email from Citigroup. He got more money from Wall Street than his Republican opponent, John McCain. 
So those are the things that woke me up. And so, again, I'm very unpopular with the Democratic Party because I criticize and I expose them for being not what they say they are. They are the exact opposite. They're actually fascist. You know, this last election, they were running around on every TV show. And even Bill Maher said it on his show. He said, well, I'm going to vote for the one party that's still going to protect democracy. That's what he said. As if we live in a fucking democracy. We haven't lived in a democracy for at least 40 years. Our democracy was taken. It's been proven by a Princeton study that it doesn't matter what the 80 bottom 80 percent of wage earners in America, what they want is never, never reflected back in legislation. But if you're in the upper 10 percent of wealthy exact proportion, if 50 percent of the upper 10 percent want something, 50 percent of the time it becomes legislation. So it's very responsive to the upper 10 percent and zero to the rest of it. So we, in fact, live in a de facto oligarchy. And those same people are the ones who fund the corporate, the corporate news and the politicians. So we do live in an oligarchy. We don't live in a democracy. And that's why I'm not going to participate in those that same party that they said was the party that was defending democracy. And somehow the Republicans were fascists like Donald Trump. They immediately after getting elected, committed fascism. They instituted fascism by breaking the railroad workers strike. And that was a really important strike. The guys don't get sick leave and they were going on strike. They rejected this offer because they wanted sick leave and they're not given it. And those are the workers that keep, they are the glue that keep our capitalist system running, the fucking railroad. Without that, our whole economy crashes, which is the rationale that Joe Biden and the Democrats used to, to squash that strike. They said it would hurt our economy too much. Well, that's exactly what gives them power. And so what is fascism as Mussolini taught us is when business joins with government to screw the worker and the citizen. And that's exactly what they did. So the Democrats, after campaigning to save democracy, committed fascism against workers and took away their right to organize. That's the fucking definition of fascism. And then they imposed a contract on them or they couldn't work. That's not democracy. That's not freedom. That's the that is the exact thing they said they were running against. So this I so again, my friends don't know any better in Hollywood. My ex comedy friends in Hollywood, they have no idea what's going on, and they don't own and they don't know that they don't know what's going on. When do you start getting unpopular with Democrats? Is it is, but, it, is this like right was, from the beginning? Yeah, it's from Bernie Sanders, right? It was, so it was right at, then at Bernie. When when I went back, Bernie Sanders, that was the death thing. How dare you? I'm sexist. I'm all that stuff. I'm misogynist. And then I was helping Trump. Then I became a Trump. Then I was, got on board with Tulsi Gabbard. And that was even worse than Bernie well, Sanders. She, she's a Russian asset, Jimmy. I mean, that, that was every, even worse. And I was, and I was a big supporter of uh, Tulsi because she didn't take corporate money and she spoke the truth about Syria, which nobody in the Democratic Party was willing to do, tell the truth about Syria. And it turns out we were proven right, even though Wikipedia says I'm a conspiracy theorist about the gas attacks in oh Syria. No, we debunked the, this conspiracy about the gas attacks. But again, it exposes the establishment's conspiracy. So then they say you're a conspiracy. So whenever you have a narrative that goes against the establishment, they immediately call you a conspiracy theorist, which is why my Wikipedia page looks the way it is, even though I've been proven correct on everything they said is a conspiracy in there, including Seth Rich. Oh, well, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get Seth Rich was one of them. The Syria uh, false flag was another one. But let's back it up actually just a little bit because you, you know get, getting on the outs with the Democrats as of 2016, it's you know the the, the joke is anyone right of Mao is now a, a, a far right extremist. But like uh, Iraq War number two, 9 11. Um, you're not unpopular with the left until, let's just say, 2015, give or take. But there's a decade, some of which where you're with the Young Turks, where you're not yet on the outs. Are you, rat are you 
criticizing the left or are you just sort of getting the feel for the fact that we've always been lied to whether or not it's Bush or or Clinton uh, we've always been getting lied to and you're sort of getting black pilled type like is, is that the yeah. evolution and what happened I don't want to get into the young Turks for a bit the evolution was Barack Obama right so when I saw Barack Obama and when I saw even after he got reelected in 2012 and he just became more of a corporatist and more of a liar instead of like oh everybody was like oh no the, he you know those first four years he's he's he, he's playing it safe so he can get reelected that's what they would say right the mm -hmm. apologists and then of course he got reelected overwhelmingly and he just went ahead and instituted his opponent's policies anyway like it didn't matter who we voted that's when i was like oh it doesn't fucking matter they all do the same thing and of course they all did the same thing and then that's why i got behind bernie because he would start every speech by saying it sounds like you're ready for a revolution which he doesn't fucking say anymore and he stopped saying and um and that and then they screwed him and then i saw oh he's actually a useful idiot for them on purpose and then i've got the whole thing's a scam the whole fucking thing and so the only thing the only way out of this is through what happened on staten island with christian smalls and amazon so christian smalls got fired from amazon when covid started and then he went out there and he organized those workers along class lines not political lines and you know let people on the left they love to say we got to organize along class lines because it sounds good it makes them feel like an anti-authority uh, but they don't realize what it means, and they don't mean that. When they say organize along class lines, they don't mean it because what that means is organizing with Trump voters, people in the same class as you, and they don't want anything to do with those people. But Christian Smalls outsmarted them all, and he did organize with Trump because he's on Staten Island. If you know anything about the uh, demographics of New York, that's mostly Trump voters and Staten Island, white working class Trump voters, and he organized those people in a union against the Man. And that's what has that. That's real organizing. Now, when I brought a Boogaloo Boy on my show, because it turns out Boogaloo Boys were developed as an antidote to the Proud Boys. Boogaloo Boys were anti-racist. They were anti-imperialism. They were against the wars. They were against the cops. And they were actually defending the Black Lives Matters protesters. So I brought one of those people on my show and everybody pretended like I brought a Nazi on my show and they had to distort what happened on my show. Oh, Jimmy brought a Boogaloo Boy on. He's a far right Nazi. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this is called class organizing. This is what that means. This is called class solidarity. We have common interests. We all want to end the wars. We all want to have health care that doesn't bankrupt us. And we all want to take the power away from cops to have qualified immunity so they can fucking do whatever they want and not be held accountable. We all have those goals. We can we can. And then we disagree on guns. I'll fucking disagree on guns. I don't care if I disagree with you on guns. I agree with you on this other shit. We can work together on this other shit. And you're not my enemy. You're my neighbor. Uh, the Boogaloo Boys. Okay, we're going to get back to that in a second as well. Now, just you spent 10 years at the Young Turks, affiliated with the Young Turks. Now, they're, they're as far as politics go, described as progressive. I mean, where I have trouble understanding, well, do, do, they, do they call themselves progressive? Yes. Okay. What does it mean to be progressive in this world? What does it mean to be Democrat? And what was it like at that institution? And has it changed? Uh, did it change from day one to day to year 10? Because when I look at that, I, I don't know how I don't know how it exists. I don't know what what I don't know how they're not uh, zero viewer, viewership and just regarded as batshit crazy. But I, they, they might be. Did they start off that way or did they get that way? And if they did get that way, what turned them that way? Well, they used to um, 
they they were the only place where you could hear anti-establishment news from the from the populist left. They were the only place that you could hear that stuff. And you know, in and even at the time, I was always way more left than them. Like they were for the Syrian war the first time that they were bombing in the early 2010s. And we had those arguments and they were for the Afghan war because when Obama took, Obama took over, he's like, give him a chance for a couple of years to do the. And it's like they weren't actual anti-imperialist war. And so they've been for it turns out they've been for every fucking war since they so. But um, they were on board with Bernie Sanders, but it was very, you know, tepid support of him. And as they wanted him to drop out of the race way earlier and they couldn't wait to get behind Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. And and so that was our break right there. That's when they were done fighting. So they talk about their fighters and they want to go to war with the establishment. But what they really wanted to do was get in bed with the establishment, which is exactly what they did. They took $24 million from DNC donors and Hillary Clinton's friends and right wingers. And so they could become corporate media so they could get their TV show on YouTube TV, which is an app that's carried all. The, and so they did that. And so they immediately started defending. So things did change. And I was told by an executive at the Young Turks when they took that money that, Jimmy, we know we have to move to the center, which is what they said. And so they then when when Trump became elected, everything changed. They just became regular Democrat shit libs. They abandoned all independence and they did. They, you know, they would they would uh, uh, promise their vote to the Democrats. And my whole thing is you can't promise your vote to the Democrats until they deliver on something to you and stop doing that. Same thing with Hillary Clinton when she was running against Trump. I was like. If a pollster calls you, tell them you're not voting for Hillary Clinton, even if you plan on voting for her. So she fucking changes her some positions. And, you know, anyway, so she went to the right when she beat Bernie Sanders in the or cheated them in the primary. Hillary Clinton then didn't take a progressive and make them her vice president. She took an anti-woman, anti-worker, anti-abortionist, anti-choice conservative and made him her vice president. Tim Kaine was a slap in the face to progressives, feminists, everybody. But everybody's mad at Jimmy Dore. Somehow I have more power than Hillary Clinton in the top of the Democratic Party. So uh, I forget what the question was. Well, that, no, that, that when the Young Turks went off the deep end, ha, oh. has has Cenk and Anna Kasparian always been as bad as they are today? And and I'm saying this, they're it's it's not like rage bait or it's it's beyond rage bait. I mean, I watched that show There's or the a, clips. Were I they always like that? I didn't think so. I I didn't I didn't I didn't think so. They've certainly gotten a lot worse. I I never saw them. I saw them get issues wrong when I was there. But it wasn't until Trump when I saw them just actively lying, like they really started to lie, like they started lying about Julian Assange when they knew they were lying about Julian Assange. And they still have that video up where they lied about Julian Assange and Paul Manafort having a fake meeting at Julian Assange at the embassy. That never happened. And they still they reported it like it did. And as as the same day I was debunking it in their very studio on my show, they were repeating that same bullshit CIA talking points that slandered Julian Assange in favor of the Democratic Party and the CIA establishment narrative. So. I knew they were lying. And then they lied about force to vote, which we I don't have to go into it. It was just that it was this uh, pr pressure campaign that I spearheaded around when the what we just saw what the right wing did 
for their vote for Speaker McCarthy. So when yep. you get a new, whenever the House shifts hands from Republicans and Democrats, you have to elect a Speaker. And then because it's such a narrow margin of victory, a handful of progressives had power to use to leverage their vote to get things, just like the right wing did. They got a lot of stuff. I don't know if you noticed, they got a lot of stuff. They held out for a week and they won. And we wanted the Democrats, the, the House, the squad, Nancy, I mean, uh, AOC and Bauman and all those people uh, to do that same thing. And, and they uh, then pretended like uh, I was, it was crazy. This will never work. They're not going to do it. They kept changing their story. And Jenk Uger was running around lying, saying that if they did what I was asking them to do, that Kevin McCarthy would become speaker, which is obviously a lie. He couldn't even come fucking speaker when the Republicans took over. It was such a lie, but that was a lie that was propagated by people like Jenk Uger and people like David Sirota and uh, uh, people like uh, uh, all those types. And so uh, they so they went from they went from just being wrong about stuff like the Iraq war, Afghanistan war, Libyan war, uh, not the Iraq war, but the Syrian war and Afghanistan, Libya. But then they went to being outright liars and they, they just lied about Aaron Maté and the people at the gray zone. Now, Aaron Maté won an award, the Independent Journalist Award, because he did a meticulous debunking of Russiagate. And because it was always a CIA op, it was always invented by the Democratic Party in the deep state. And it was it was it wasn't that hard to debunk it. And so we did it. And then uh, the Young Turks start lying about him, saying that Aaron Mate is taking money from the Russian government and he's taking Russian from the Syri he's taking money from the Syrian government. We're all corrupt. And it's like. So now the guy who's ex, so Aaron Mate is doing what the Young Turks should be doing, which is exposing the, the lies of the government and the war machine. But instead of doing that, they're now smearing the guy who's exposing the lies of the war machine. It's become the exact opposite of the, the whole point of the Young Turks. So I'm with you. I don't understand how any. So I think the people who watch that show now are just teenagers who don't have cable, so they don't tune into CNN and MSNBC. And now they just watch the Young Turks. This is the this is the question. It's it's broader than just the Young Turks, Cenk and Anna uh, and Anna in particular. But what drives uh, journalists to become this way? Like th th there are no mainstream journalists who are covering, let alone defending Julian Assange. Uh, the, is it is it just money? Is it just money that they 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 get paid that much and they won't get it unless they toe the line? Uh, you know what? I can't. I'm, I I have lots of different theories for different people, but I think it's a little bit of everything. And I, uh, I think a lot of it. You know, like Jenk Uger's greatest asset is his, is his ego, right? He has a an ego that made him think that he should do this. He should have a a worldwide n news show that's did some damage against it. He was big enough to think he should do that. But it's also his ego is his Achilles heel because it's that ego that won't let him admit his mistake. It won't let him see that the reason he was so triggered by Trump instead of the system that provided us Trump, which is what I was upset at, was because he's just like Trump in his shadow, as Carl Jung has taught us. And that's why he's so triggered. And the people who spent all their time focused on Trump instead of the system that gave us Trump, which is bipartisan, those are the people who are most like Trump and deny that they are, they have to put that in their unconscious. Who am I talking about? People like Keith Oberman, people like Cenk Uger. Those are the type, the most obnoxious lying pieces of shit uh, are they? They have to have a whipping boy, and they project that onto Donald Trump. All the things that they are there. So that's why I wasn't triggered by Trump like other people. I'm more triggered by a system that made working people desperate enough to take a chance on a guy like Donald Trump. 
So I, I'm going to get into how you get your knowledge and how you retain your knowledge. Uh, but one thing that people are asking here, and it's the segue. Uh, I had Alex Jones on last night, and we were, and it never. You, you, we actually, I wanted to bring it up, but it didn't come up. But it's it's Young Turks, Alex Jones, and segue into everything. There's that now infamous incident, and I'm almost reluctant to ask about it because. I had I had Cernovich on Mike Cernovich on a while back, and everyone in the chat's like, "Why?" Well, everyone was emailing me before, messaging me saying, "How are you going to have that guy?" And he's such a terrible man, sending me all these links. And then I felt, you know, the need to, you know, have some sort of cleansing about whatever it was that he has to go through every time he gets interviewed about these things that he's talked about over and over again. The spit heard around the world with with Alex Jones at this event with the Young Turks, and I watched it. I hadn't seen it. I had I didn't know this until people were like, "Ask him about it." And I was watching that entire clip. First of all, I was just, I was flabbergasted by what was like performative art by the Young Turks, by everybody in it, everyone involved. First of all, it was, it was brilliant trolling by Alex Jones. You, you got to give it to him, right? No doubt. And fucking Cenk Uygur took the bait. I couldn't believe it. He's such an amateur. What you do in that, so what we were doing a live broadcast and it, they, they had a state, so Young Turks were like the official YouTube uh, news channel for that uh, convention, Republican convention. They YouTube had provided them a crew. They provided them a stage, cameras, all that stuff. And so we, it was a professional job happening, and we had a real stage. And Alex Jones just walks right on stage, <laughs> right on the fucking camera, right on the stuff in the middle of a thing. And what Jen Huger's supposed to do is say, "Hey, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be right back." Hey, Alex, how you doing? Hey, the Bob. Let's get some security. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. <laughs> And here's some security, and we'll see you later. And now we're going to go back on the air. That's not what Jenk Uger did. It was almost as if they had it set up. Honestly, God, I'm not saying they did, but it, it, you couldn't have set it up any better if you were Alex Jones. And so then Jenk Uger started screaming like a fucking maniac. And I'm like, that's not how you handle a heckler, idiot. And so I, I, went and got a security guard as Jenk Uger's ripping his coat off and screaming at the top of his lungs like he's going to win an argument. And I found I found they, there wasn't a security guard to be found. I found one black lady. She looked like she's about 48 years old. And I said, hey, could you come? There's someone who's crashed our stage and won't get off. And by the time I got back to the stage with the security guard, there was a, literally 100 people. It looked like a thousand, but literally 100 people were just all surrounding them with their cameras. And Alex Jones wouldn't, you know, he was he was just love it. I could just see like these fucking idiots. They wouldn't stop talking to him. What are you doing? I, I, I didn't I didn't even understand why um Chank was so upset. And and Kasparian Me either. I, Me I, I, Kas either. Kasparian was out of her mind as out well. Out of her mind. Okay. Why do, why do you why are you upset, Alex Jones? He came, he called Hill, he called Bill Clinton a rapist. He is. Who gives a fuck? Why did that he did that? So that set them off, man. And so I went up towards the front and uh, Alex Jones. So I had taken a sip of uh, tea, iced tea. And Alex Jones, as I get up there and you can play the tape, he's he literally says, hey, I'm just trying to be nice, which was so funny. <laughs> I did a spit take and it went all over his face. And, uh, and then he goes, hey, that guy just spit on me. And two seconds later, Alex Jones walked away and it was all over. Now, some people might say this is, you know, it, it, when well, I heard the story and I'm sticking to it. Now, that, is, is it is it is that a facetious? Is that uh, you did it on purpose and this is the explanation or it was a genuine spittle? It genuinely was funny what he said. 
that, that was funny. I mean, he was big. He was trolling like a genius at that moment. He was doing it. It was like, oh, God damn it. You got a tip of the hat to him on that one. Now, but at this point in time, uh, this is, I think, before you've had maybe the the awakening on Alex Jones. Are, are, do you hate him at this point in time? Do you dislike well, I him? I don't do even you- really, I honest to God, I barely even know who Je- who Alex Jones is. I never watched his show. I never saw him on Joe Rogan. I only saw him when Jenk would interview him every once in a while on his show for current TV, if you remember that thing. And I, that's how the only time way I knew of Alex Jones, I didn't know. I thought he was someone worthy of Jenk interviewing. And then when he tro- he trolled him, like, oh, this guy's trolling. It's fucking brilliant. And then Jenk went fucking crazy. And so then um, the next time Alex Jones came up in my life is when they were censoring him, right? And, and of course, the Young Turks were for it. And I, just, I so I pushed back against that 100%. And I was, I was you know, and I'm like, and again, I'm not. I, I don't even know what stuff Alex Jones says. I don't really care. It doesn't matter what he's saying. If he's breaking a law, then you should call the cops. We have people that take care of that stuff. And if he's not breaking a law and you feel like you've been injured by him, that's why we have the legal system in America. That's how our system works. Other countries have different things. Our system is that you can then, if he's libeling you or slandering you, there's laws that take care of that stuff. Guess what? He just got fucking fined a billion dollars. That's yeah. our system. You're not supposed to censor anybody ever. Well, some people might argue that that $1 billion judgment itself is the judicial censorship that far exceeds any normal bounds of justice. But set that aside. We'll get there in a second. After the spittle in the face, and you say it was it was just, it was it was iced tea. Do you see him ever again? Like, do you see him the next day? Yes. Do you see I saw him one time after that. And what was, I mean, so, the chat The chat wants to know if you have made amends like, with Alex Jones. People are like, hey, why'd you run away? I'm like, because he'll fucking kill me. <laughs> Well, that, that's why I'm wondering. You don't strike me as being a type of guy who would deliberately spit in someone's face. That being said, if you have a plausible deniability, maybe you can wiggle out of it or run faster than Alex Jones. Alex Jones um, is fucking crazy. I have a bone disease. I have hollow bones. I fucking, I got six vertebrae collapsed in my very, I'm fucking three inches shorter than I was 10 years ago. I ain't fucking with Alex Jones physically. Are you kidding me? So um, I was in Austin. The first time I was playing Austin, uh, I sold out the state theater. So I called my brother came down. We're having a party for the weekend and we're all out having dinner at the steakhouse. And towards the end of our dinner, all of a sudden, Alex, my brother goes, Jimmy, you're not going to believe this. Alex Jones just sat down behind you. And I'm like, what? So he comes in and he's like one table over and he sits down and he's having, my brother's telling me what's going on. And he goes, he's having an awkward meeting with this guy. They keep shaking hands and it blah, blah, blah. And they're, but they're not looking at each other. And I'm like, oh, he's getting ready to do something. He's getting ready to fucking, something's going to happen. They're going to film it. Someone's going to come in and piss on me and they're going to film it or something. So I just got up and I got the fuck out of there. <laughs> and and as far as you know, does he, did he know who you were? Does he remember it? And have you spoken to him? ever in life i've never spoken to him i don't know if he knows who i am i don't know i never spoke to him about it so i don't know has, has it ever you you i mean i having seen you vigorously defend alex jones's freedom of speech uh in in, in numerous places would you have you never thought about hopping on Infowars, or is that like a line that you wouldn't even cross i it, you know uh it it wasn't a it, it, um i would I didn't do it ever. I haven't never gone on his show or interviewed him on my show because I didn't want to give the people who disingenuously hate on me uh, fodder, right? So I didn't need to do that. But 
you know, it turns out it doesn't matter. They're going to lie about me no matter what I do. They're going to pretend that I'm a right winger no matter what I am. Uh, that's the game. Yeah. That's the game. As soon as you get to the left of the Democratic Party, they call you a right winger. They did it to Joe Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is to the left of Joe Biden. He's not to the right of Joe Biden. Joe Rogan to the left of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. He's not to the right of them. Joe Rogan's a left winger, not a fucking right winger. And because he took, but now if you stand up for traditional left wing values like freedom of speech and anti authoritarianism, they call you a right winger because now the Democrats are a right wing authoritarian party that's in bed with Wall Street, the military industrial complex, and big pharma. Jimmy, it's 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 absurd to the point of like living through fantasy where to be your left wing, you defend big government, you defend big pharma, you you no longer defend bodily autonomy. It's a joke. It's it's almost like reading in the books where they said the parties, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans switched parties at one point, which is why the Republicans went from being the not racist party to the racist party. And I'm like, now I understand how they fabricated that myth of the switching of the parties. They'll say the same thing now. Oh, the the left, the left is the right. Um, but hold on a second. I just had a thought there. First of all, I'm going to get maybe get back in, 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 in touch with my deep roots, family roots of matchmaking. Jimmy, I think we can I think we can make a match uh, happen with you and Alex, because now that it, it's it was my awakening too. you don't have to give any legitimate reason for them to demonize you. It was my fear once upon a time of having Alex on is like, I don't want friends and family to think I've gone off the deep end, but they, they'll say it anyhow. So d- d- do it or not, you, you're experiencing it now firsthand. And by the way, so much so that, from what I understand, when you had the falling out or when you ended with the Young Turks, they came in with the standard accusations of sexual inappropriate <laughs> conduct. So, so yeah, that was so funny. So, boy, they're such amateurs, though. They couldn't pull it off. They um, So when they were lying about Aaron Maté and saying he was taking money from the Russians and the Syrians and all this stuff, and they were lying about me about force the vote and none of it was sticking and they were they were taking big hits right because i was exposing them i wasn't all i was doing was showing what they were saying and so they really wanted to silence me and they couldn't think and so they were like oh i know hashtag me too so anna kasparian dms me so one time anna kasparian came into the newsroom i don't know around 2015 16 i don't remember when it was but she used to um she used to dress like you would, she would dress in a way that would reveal her genitalia. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, may, may I ask the absolutely inappropriate question? First of all, I can no longer hear the word genitalia without thinking of uh, John Lejoie. I don't know if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sending you something after this, which will okay. make you laugh. Um, it, it, she's wearing underwear, correct? It's not like this. It's not. Yeah. So she had on thongs. She had on a thong underwear. How do you know that she was wearing a thong underwear, Jimmy? Well, because her skirt was so short, it wasn't like a tight skirt. It was a poofy one. And when she walked in, she bent over to put her purse on the floor. She's wearing and she was wearing these very high heels. Right. So so when she bends, she had to bend over extra low. Right. Four more inches over. And when she did that, she showed she was flashing everybody in the newsroom, her entire ass. And I could see her vagina uh, being covered by uh, a thong. And I felt embarrassed for her and I tried to give her a heads up. And what I said was, Hey, Anna, nice new skirt, which I thought would be like, Hey, you're flashing everybody. So the people being, so the sexual harasser in this situation was Anna Kasparian. Well, I got to ask you two questions here. First of all, did you say nice new skirt? Like a news. new a new... news. Okay, fine. And that is because like, Hey, that's not appropriate. That's not <laughs> okay. appropriate for no. here. 
Let me ask you this. You're, like, you I, can't come in and flash everybody. If I did that, if I bent over and flashed my naked ass and I showed a jock strap holding my balls, I would get in trouble. <laughs> that no, would be I, considered an assault. There is no I, like, I, harass me. If I, I walked into a newsroom with my fuck with a, in a jock strap ready to do the news, that would be on me. I would get a visit from human resources because I was being inappropriate. I, I'm picturing Party Boy from Jackass right now. Like, uh, I think Chris Pontius, who who had that as a skit. But Jimmy, like, I look, I, I I haven't dated in a while, and I don't, I haven't worked in an office where that would even be a realm of possibility. But when she's bending over to put her purse down, it's not out of necessity. This is, I mean, is your impression that this is to show, like, to what's the word I'm looking for? To be exhibitionist. Well, I don't know if she did that on purpose uh, to be an exhibitionist. I don't know how you could. Uh, do something like that and not be aware of what you're doing. Because when I said that, hey, nice news skirt, which was pretty innocuous, the fuck, I didn't realize what was going to happen. The whole studio erupted in laughter because they were all, they were all as terrified as I was like, what the fuck's going on? What, what in the fuck does she know what's happening? Right. And so when I go, hey, Anna, nice news skirt, everybody like, oh, and I didn't think that far ahead. I didn't realize that everyone was going to laugh like that. And everyone did. And she turned around and her face turned beet red. And I felt sorry for her, A, because I was just trying to give her a fucking friendly heads up anyway. I didn't mean for her to be humiliated. I didn't humiliate her. She did it to herself. I used to say that I did. But she did that. I just pointed out what she was doing. She should have already been humiliating because she's flashing the whole fucking studio. So when she then she then walks out and she insults me, she says something about my old man pants or something. I don't know what she said. And then I realized, oh, she she was younger. I was older. She was I don't know how old she was back then. Twenty seven. I don't know how old she was. I was probably 40 and or older. And uh, I don't know what the day. And so I was like, oh, this is stupid. Uh, I don't need this headache at work and I don't want her to be angry at me. And so the, the next day I wrote her a card saying, hey, you don't ever have to worry. You dress any way you want. You want to humiliate yourself and flash the newsroom. I didn't say that. But I go, hey, you dress any way you want. You don't ever have to worry about me ever mentioning again. No problem. My apologies. And I gave her a card and I gave her a gift as a night, like a gentleman, like a gentleman yep. would do. And then so seven years later or whatever, when she's lying about uh, me and forced to vote and Aaron Mate as an independent journalist, anti-war journalist, uh, she they can't get us to stop telling the truth. She DMs me saying, you remember when you wrote me a card because you sexually harassed me? And I was like, oh, this is going to be a lose for you. So I just went on the air immediately. I showed her stupid DM. She she told me she was going to launch a fake hashtag. B, and I just showed it on air. And then Jenk Uger goes on air and tells that story that I was looking up girls skirts at work or something as if I as if I went into the newsroom and I laid down on the floor and let women walk over me or something instead of what exactly happened. So he tells this story for like a half hour about what a pervert Jimmy Dore is because he's looking up big girl skirts. And then Anna comes in and goes, that's not what happened. <laughs> oh. They told a totally and then she tells a totally different story. The story she tells was that Jimmy said I had sexy legs and she he did it in front of my journalism students and that humiliated her. That's what you sure Jimmy didn't say you had a winning personality and a nice smile. What other horrible thing did Jimmy Dore say about you? He had this <laughs> sexy leg. So 
anyway, so that they did, they nobody believed it. And now Anna Kasparian has burned that. And so, so women should be angry at Anna Kasparian because now other women who actually are going to be harassed won't be believed because of liars like Jenk and Anna Kasparian who tried to use the hashtag MeToo movement to attack somebody who was telling the truth that they were lying about. They're the most manipulative, nefarious people I've ever seen in my life. And uh it, everybody else sees it too. So I don't, it's not like I have to spend a lot of energy convincing people. It's obvious what happened. Nobody believed them for even a second. And it's an amazing thing. And, and no good deed goes unpunished. The apology it gets, exactly gets right. weaponized. Yeah. That's exactly weaponized. A, 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 a gentleman, a, a, a gentlemanly thing act I did out of respect for her as a coworker. She was my boss at the time, by the way. I wasn't the boss. She was the executive producer of the show. She booked the show. She booked me. She didn't stop. And then she'd pretend like she's a, she's now she was too scared to say anything. Meanwhile, every day she's on air telling people to go fuck themselves. Her, her, her print tweet is calling somebody a fuck boy. That's her pin tweet. So this it, idea that she was a shrinking violet and, but she was, she had to endure sexual harassment from Jimmy Dore. Jesus Christ. Well, I say, I got an old expression, you know, keep your schmeckle in your pants. And if Jimmy, I don't know you very well, but if I had to guess, you strike me as the type who keeps your schmeckle in your pants. May I add, you were married at the time, right? Yeah. Look, I, my speckle has been out of my pants a lot. I spent, uh, <laughs> I, I spent, you know, uh, 30 years in nightclubs entertaining drunks. Okay. Uh, I don't claim to have any amount of uh, respectability or dignity or anything. But uh, I never had to. I, I never had to beg anybody to get in their pants. <laughs> and they, and she waits seven years as you're on the outs with the Young Turks to bring it up and weaponize it. Uh, so the falling out was uh, amicable, and um, it, it it occurs. You go out on your own, but you'd already started the Jimmy Dore show uh, in the interim, correct? Yeah, I started in like twenty uh, December of 2015 is when I started. I was covering the Bernie Sanders campaign. And I was on the road with him in California and uh, uh, decided, I'm like, hey, uh, Cenk Uger is not going to, you know, what happened was um, they put my, you know, I was just obvious he wasn't going to give me opportunities, right? And he wanted me as bait for his uh, lefty progressive people to join their premium program. And he wasn't, he didn't, he was going to artificially suppress me, right? And um, which is his, he could do that. That's he gets to pick and choose who he wants on his show. I get to also decide to do my own show. And so that's what I did. I built a studio in my garage and I remember it upset him. And he's asked me, what are you doing? And I go, I'm building a studio in my garage. And he goes, for what? And I said, I want to be like you, Jenk. Don't I get to be like you or just you? And he didn't know what to say back to that. And so that was that. And then, uh, Three years later, he charged me $50,000 to buy my own channel. Uh, you might have to elaborate that. Go on, please. <laughs> so uh, I quit work when I, I originally, I, I became an, I was always an independent contractor. And then my, my wife quit her job and I got my health insurance. And this is stuff about America. So in, I got my health insurance through her job. And so now I had to get the health insurance. So I said, hey, why don't you just make me an employee? And I can get my health insurance through the Young Turks. And so that's what we did. And then uh, there was a woman on online who was smearing me over Syria. And so I called her out. I said, come on my show. And she used to work for the Young Turks. And I called her out. 
uh, in a DM. And I said, why don't you come on my show? If you're going to smear me on Twitter, why don't you come on my show? And she said, no, I'm not coming on your show. And I go, that's because you're a coward and you're a real piece of shit. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so then she put those DMs on Twitter. Like somehow I'm harassing a girl. She's a grown woman. And so they're hiding behind the female card. And it was during the week that uh, member uh, who was the, the who was that the, the guy was charged to rape to be he was on the Supreme Court. Uh, oh, uh, Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, you know, Kavanaugh's hearings were that week. So people oh were hating. Okay. And so she put that out in the Young Turks. I was on I was on vacation in Italy. First time I'd taken a vacation in my fucking life. And so I'm on vacation and Jenk calls me. I'm in Italy. And he's like, hey, you have to apologize to her. And I go, I'm not apologizing. She fucking smeared me and she's wrong. I'm not fucking apologize. He's like, you have to, you know, blah, 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 bliss and that and blah, 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 blah. And, and so, uh, cause he, he goes, I could be, you know, open to a lawsuit. And so I said to him and I said, okay, Jenk, I, I'm going to do this one time for you because I feel like I put you in a position like now somehow you're in a position because of what I did. And because I'm a stand-up guy, I'm going to, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to try and make it better for you. So I will, I, if it was just up to me, if it was just about me, I would never have apologized. So I wrote an apology saying that this woman is basically a war pig liar and that I upsets me, but I shouldn't, uh, I should probably not act like that when I get upset at a war pig. So it was, it, 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 I got my point across. I didn't say war pig, but things like that, right? And, uh, and so that was my, I had to tweet out that apology. And I said, and I'm immediately quitting. So this, you never have to worry about this again. And I never have to apologize for you or your company because you don't have to worry about being sued because I'm not your employee. And I immediately start, got my own health care and all that shit. And I'm not your employee. So for the last two years or whatever it was at the, at the, at the young Turks, I was not an employee. I was a, I was an independent contractor. And so that's how that started. Okay. Very interesting. Um, hold on. I had a thought there, but this is probably going to segue into universal health care and, and actual, and actual policy oh. issues. Okay. When, when, um, well, so first of all, when do you start noticing uh, the attack on free speech. I mean, you're, you're getting vocal about the defense of it in 2018. It was Alex Jones. So when okay. I told him, like, don't you know this is the canary in the coal mine? They're, they're seeing how we're going to react to this. And if we all get behind this, this is going to just get ramped up and it's going to come for you. Well, it didn't actually ever come for the Young Turks because they're never going to do anything that crosses the establishment in a serious way. Uh, they're always going to tell you to vote for one of the two corporate parties, and that's all they care about. So at the end of the day, the Young Turks, no matter what they say, they're going to tell you to vote for the machine. And so that's so. I now I've, I'm, I'm forgetting the question again. Oh no! The, the, well, when, 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 when it started with Alex Jones, that was when I first noticed it. And I'm like, and so when they did it, and they got, and it was a conspiracy. They all did it together in con, in coordination, in concert with each other. It was it was Apple, iTunes, it was fucking Facebook, it was Twitter. It was instant. They all did it at one time. And it's like, well, this is he, you're proving him right. And so, again, that's what I and, and then it just it just ramped up from there. You know, it's someone I'm just looking at a, at a rumble rant here where where Fleet Lord Avatar, someone who's familiar with the community or very known to the community, asked it, it was sort of about the issue before what you described in terms of you getting off the Young Turks, where they want to basically use you but not allow you to have a full voice. I know people are thinking that sounds exactly like what's going on with 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 Crowder with Daily Wire. Have you have you 
chimed in on that, uh, offered your your perspective on on the Daily Wire Stephen Crowder uh, public fight. I don't know anything. All I know is that he was offered fifty million dollars, and I was just like, I am in the wrong fucking. What am I doing? Well, fifty dollars. There's what? a qualification to that fifty million. 50 it would take me fifty million years to make fifty. Are you kidding? Well, in fairness to that fifty million, it was fifty million for him to go and produce everything on his own. So the fifty million over four years, twelve and a half a year for him to produce all of his own content. But no, if if you're not familiar with it, I would not even venture out an opinion because you'll get your butt chewed out if it's not the one that one side wants. Go, yeah. Look into it. It's it's it's, a, it's an interesting dispute, but it's it has to do more with how people choose to fight their fights publicly where, you know, what you're describing as you said, okay. Uh, uh, what are they called? The young Turks. You want to silence me? I'm not, I don't want to be like that. Enjoy your reputation. I'm going to go to my own look into the daily wire. You'll see some analogies or some similarities. Um, so but, okay, what happened, this- what can I just tell you what, 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 what the final straw was, was in 2016 after Donald Trump won, they would have what they call on Friday. There would be a power panel, meaning they would have two guests, come on and there would be four people hosting a show it was called a power panel progressive power panel and i i would tune in and you would not you wouldn't you would only be hearing the democratic party's message hillary you i said to jenk i go jenk i called him up and i said you can't have four hillary voters on a panel and call it an alternative news show that's not alternative anymore. You at least have to have one voice on there that's alternative. And it should be me since I'm the number one host on the show besides you. And he said to me, no, we can't do that. And I said, why can't you do that? I'm the mon- number one host on the network besides you. And he said, because I got to make more Jimmy Doors, which was, you know, ridiculous because how's that working out? He, he oh, hasn't I mean, made any more Jimmy Doors, and he's acting like he made me instead of that he discovered me and gave me a platform. He didn't make me. I had the talent I had from being a fucking professional comedian for 20 years before I met him. So uh, when and then so uh, I talked to the second in command at the Young Turks, and he also shared my feeling about how the main show had just become Democrat talking points and all Trump hate. And so what I we decided to do was a show that would be rebutting all the shit they said on the main show. And it was going to be called Aggressive Progressives. And we was going to come on after at six o'clock after the main show. And Cenk was like, yeah, sounds good. And everything's going to go. And then the day before we were launched, he said, I'm putting it behind a paywall. And I'm like, well, I see the writing on the wall. And they so then a year later, they did an internal poll. Uh, with their paying members to see which was their favorite members only show. So they had like 10 of them at the time, 10 members only show. You had to pay to watch these shows. Mine was one of them. And 67% of the votes were for the Jimmy Dore show as their favorite members only show. None of the other shows even cracked 10%. So it was obvious that I was carrying most of their premium subscribers and this is how I got rewarded. I got held back. I got suppressed and put behind a paywall when everybody else was being pushed. And so that didn't feel good. And um, I thought that if I debunked the Russia gate, that they would eventually come around. And then I thought when the Mueller report got published, that they would eventually come around. And when they didn't, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Jenk started calling me a conspiracy theorist. He would say, if you don't think this is what he would tell his audience. 
if you don't agree that Trump is in bed with Russia, then you're a conspiracy theorist because it means that the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and the corporate media, they're all conspiring together to say, to make up this story. Well, it turns out they were. It turns out it was made up by the Democratic Party in the deep state, and it was carried out by their minions in the corporate media, which is why they don't even have to have the CIA pay off journalists anymore. They just bring the CIA as panelists on their own fucking show. That's not a news show when you bring on the head of the CIA or the former head to tell you what's going on in the world. You're supposed to bring on a journalist who tells you where that guy's lying. That's what journalism is, not bring on a liar as if he's a truth teller, and that's what's been happening. So when the Mueller report came out, Cenk Uger just pretended like they didn't Russiagate, that they were talking about something else the whole time. When I saw that, I had to get the fuck out of there. And so I left on good terms. And then when I started to do Force the Vote, Anna Kasparian went online and said that I was, uh, she didn't trust me, that I was doing it all for my, so I'm like, that's the executive producer of the fucking company I just built up their fucking membership for for 10 goddamn years. And now as soon as I leave and I leave on good terms without calling you the fucking Russiagating McCarthyite pieces of shit that you are, I went out on a good, and you're going to have your executive producer of your show do this in public. And so when I pushed back against her, Jenk then again started slaring me. And I was like, oh my God, he's so stupid. They don't realize, I know where all the bodies are buried. I've been there for 10 fucking years. And so then we went to war and I destroyed them and they had to fucking lie about me. And then I had to point out where they're lying and everybody knows that. Now everybody knows that they used to post revenge porn on their website. They wouldn't have known that had Anna Kasparian not launched a fake hashtag me too against them. They used to post upskirt photos of mentally ill celebrities on their website against that celebrity's will for money. Nobody would have known that if they didn't come at me. They used to do a segment called Celebrity Camel Toes, where they would zoom in on a celebrity wearing yoga pants, show their vaginal lips, and you tried to guess which celebrity it was, and then they would humiliate and shame them. Nobody would know that they did that as a regular segment. Anna Kasparian produced and hosted that. They wouldn't know that, except they tried to come at me, and I exposed that. They wouldn't know that Anna Kasparian, under the guise of Jenk Uger, Jenk Uger gave her an assignment to go sex up to a guy at a mall, a random guy, flirt with him, try to get him to buy you something and then humiliate him on air. And that's exactly what, nobody would know that Jenk said he wanted to make it okay to have sex with animals as a straight face, because if you're pleasuring a horse, that would be okay. Nobody would know that they said all those things if they didn't try to come at me. But I was, when they did, I was like, oh, this is Jenk again. His greatest strength is his ego, his biggest Achilles heel is ego. And he came at me and I fucking buried them. They went from having 17, 18,000 live stream viewers to having three. And I've been tripling their fucking numbers ever since. Now they're in bed with YouTube. They're a YouTube partner. They've actually been their first news YouTube partner. They've been sponsored and supported by YouTube and they've been given advantageous uh, algorithms and they're still sucking. And I still double their live stream numbers and they're fucking over. So I don't know who watches that show, but uh, and if they were normal people, they would take a lesson from it. But they're not normal people. What Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian are, are borderline personalities. They're narcissistic 
personality disorders, and they could never admit what they're wrong ever. Anna Kasparian tweeted out a doctored video to make it look like Aaron Maté was saying he liked President Assad of Syria. A doctored video. When it was pointed out to her that that video was doctored, she didn't apologize. She said it doesn't make any difference. So that's the kind of people they are. When she did a fake hashtag me too, said it doesn't make any difference. They went from going be against the anti-establishment and right wing to becoming a right wing establishment. McCarthy smearers. They're the propagandists now. They're the ones repeating the CIA talking points and smearing independent anti-war journalists. So that's that. So I think we've talked enough about that. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, for my goodness, that was a mouthful. Um, what I, yeah, you know, let, let's move on to that. Okay, move on from that. You, you become, well, I guess once you discover that you're no longer, once you're not a friend, you're the enemy, it's, it's, it's allies or enemies. Um, coming to COVID, uh, so you're, you're, you're seeing the attack on free speech 2018, then you come into COVID. I guess, you know, before all of that, where do you get your information from? Where do you get your knowledge of history from? Where do you get your reading from? And how do you retain it? Because above and beyond being funny and having amazing delivery, you have a wealth of information. Like what's, what's your, what's your method of acquiring information and retaining it? So, uh, you know, all different kinds of things. Uh, the thing that really radicalized me was when I read listen liberal by Thomas Frank and that opened my eyes to the game that's been being played in America politically and economically for the last 40 years. And so I could never unread that. I can never go back. So that's what really, so that was really the thing. And then where I get my information from is now a lot of times I go right to the source, right? So when something doesn't smell right, like Russiagate, I brought Bill Binney on my show, which was the, he was the NSA's top number one code breaker for decades. And the FBI tried to frame him because he told the truth about the corruption inside the NSA. And he's so smart, he outsmarted the FBI. And so they couldn't imprison him like they did to other people, Daniel Hale and Julian Assange, those types of people. So um, I brought him on my show to say, uh, to tell us, hey, is it possible that Russia did this uh, hacking of the DNC uh, server and he laid it out in technical terms that how it wasn't and he showed he explained to me that even the terms that the intelligence communities were using to describe that information revealed that they didn't think it was real that they didn't have they had moderate confidence they didn't have high confidence they didn't have certainty they had moderate confidence so they were just covering the rest so he he pointed that out to me so I knew so before anybody I knew so that's where I got my information on Russiagate mm -hmm. and then I kept just looking for evidence of Russiagate and there was never any the only thing they ever had was this the Steele dossier and what was the Steele dossier well what it was quickly re uh, I found out that the Steele dossier was nothing but uh, campaign, a uh, 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 counter uh, Oppos opposition research, opposition research that was paid for by the Clinton campaign and Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign denied that they funded that for a year. They were the ones lying during Russiagate. That was nothing but more than opposition research. It had none of it was fact. It was all made up. It was all paid for and made up. And it was easy to find that out. And it was easy to debunk that. It was easy to debunk the Carter Page stuff. It was easy to find out that they were lying in their FISA warrants. The FBI was lying in their FISA warrants. They were like, they had it so uh but again this it's it, i go to the source and it's not it's not that hard i go to you know when I, I when i wanted to find out about ray epps and what happened on january 6th i went to the senate hearing where they had the head of the fbi in the justice department who said they can't answer any questions about ray epps they don't know anything about it. so it's just 
it's obvious. So all all you have to do is have a, a healthy skepticism, a good bullshit detector, and don't listen to anything the corporate media tells you. I, what's amazing, as you say these examples, is also that you know on our channel we talk about confession through projection, where you know they say the steel dossier might have, was totally fabricated. Or when it comes to pissing on hookers in hotel rooms, it might have just been total projection. When it and what they did in um, with RussiaGate and they with the hacking, they said yeah, well, strong probability or that 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 wishy washy language that the intelligence used when they used the same wishy washy language to suggest that Hunter Biden's laptop was was Russian disinformation. It has all the hallmarks. They didn't say it because it would have been a lie. It has that's the right. hallmarks of Russian disinformation. That's right. Um, hold on though. Okay, so that's what, what was what was I going to get to with all this? Oh, then COVID hit. Okay, I, I forgot where I was going to go with this, uh, but uh, Jimmy, people are going to kill me if I don't get to uh, the, another element that put you on the outs with with the left when you became a conspiracy theorist because you had an adverse reaction or you you believe you did to the to what we call the jibby jab, um, and there's there's a super chat which I want to read because someone uh, expressed a similar reaction. Let's start with COVID before we even get to the jab. You have a healthy skepticism. You've lived through. Lies after lies after decades of lies. COVID hits two weeks to flatten the curve. How far ahead of the curve were you in terms of suspecting, knowing this came from a lab in China? There's a lot more to the story. It's never going to be two weeks. We're going to digital vaccine passports, et cetera, et cetera. How far ahead of the curve were you on that suspicion? I was not. I was behind. I, I um I was like everybody else. I was scared to death. I, I was convinced that if I got COVID, it was going to go to my bones and kill me. And because I now know in retrospect, because they were suppressing any of the uh, counter narratives, they were suppressing the people who did the Great Barrington Declaration. You couldn't find out about it. If they tried to tweet about it, they'd censor it. If you put it in a video, they'd censor you. Put it on YouTube, they'd censor. So I couldn't hear anything about it. So all I heard was this uh, from everywhere, from everybody, that you're going to die if you get COVID. It's going to be it's fucking deadly. It's worse than anything. And so. And then I so that's why and I call I asked both my doctors, should I get the vaccine? And honest to God, and I'll admit it, I was afraid to look into the vaccine because I was afraid what I was going to find out because I knew I was going to have to take it anyway because I had this bone condition and I was going to have to take it. Anyway. So why shit my pants taking it? Well, that was a mistake. And so I did. I went down and got it. Oh, and, actually, uh, actually, if, I, if I may stop you there, you're in California the entire time, yeah. right? Yes. So you have your two weeks to flatten the curve. California not quite as bad as Canada, but you're locked. You're, there's curfews, there's lockdowns, there's masks. Everybody, yeah, everybody's walking around. Yeah, it, it lasted forever. I don't know how long, but it lasted forever. And I believed it. So I was one of those people with the mask and stay away. And I never let, you know, never left my house. And I wiped down everything with a, a, a wipe and all that stuff. And um, and then I got the vaccine and I never got better. Uh, the side effects got worse and worse and worse. I had them, I had a thing called an occipital neuralgia, which if you don't know what that is, it's the worst stiff neck you've ever had in your life. I had it to the point where even my scalp, like if a wind blew, it would be painful on my scalp. That's how bad it was. I had joint pain, body aches, headaches. My blood pressure went to 180 over 120. I was, it was, I was in bad shape. So I tweeted it out that I'm not getting over this vaccine. I'm still exhausted, all, all that shit. And uh, people started calling me an anti-vaxxer. I'm like, no, I, I got the vax. That's what I'm fucking, I'm not, I it, got it. Was it on your first the, first shot? The second one, the second one. Okay. And, and so, which one did you, uh, if I, if, was it, was it, if I may ask, Moderna, okay. So I tweet this out, a guy named Dr. Yoganda, who's, who was running a study with another doctor named Bruce Patterson, and they were, figuring out how to treat people who were vaccine injured and people who had long COVID. And they 
put me in a trial. Uh, and now I'm a data point in a trial. And they said, they said, Jimmy, we, my theory is that the people like you are getting injured by the vax the same way people who catch COVID. It's about the spike protein and blah, blah, blah. I didn't understand what they were saying. And so they gave me, they, I had to go to a special place to get a special blood test done. It took extra long. And then he showed me on a graph. He goes, here's somebody with long COVID and here's their biological markers. And here's your biological markers. They're exactly the same. So our theory is that people like you present as having long COVID after the vaccine because you've never had COVID. I never had COVID, but I had this. And so they were kind of trying to come up with a protocol of drugs to treat this. And so one of the drugs they gave me was fluvoxamine, which has been now proven to work. Another one was azithromycin. Another one was vitamin D3. Another one was ivermectin. And I said, hey, this ivermectin is garbage. What are you talking about? It's for horses. And that's when my doctor, who was running the study, sat me down and explained to me that they're lying about ivermectin and that ivermectin was not only a human medicine, but it was on the WHO list of essential medicines and that it was the 2015 Nobel Prize winning human medicine prize winner. And it's not only been been prescribed billions of times, it saved billions of lives. And it was considered a, a wonder miracle drug before COVID that could possibly cure different kinds of the cancers. That's what a great drug. And by the way, it is safer than aspirin and Tylenol. And I was like, when I, when he said that to me and explained that to me, and the reason why they were lying about ivermectin to make you think that it was not for humans was because if it could treat COVID, then they couldn't get their emergency use authorization, and then they couldn't get $100 billion. How much is $100 billion? That's enough money to buy everybody in the corporate media. The news media gets 70% of their funding from Big Pharma, and it's enough to buy everybody in government. So don't forget that, right? And the FDA here, which is our regulatory body, also gets 70% of their funding from Big Pharma. So that's called regulatory capture. So we're living in a mafia state that's being run by criminals. And so as soon as I looked into the uh, everything around COVID, I found out they were lying. What were they lying about, Jimmy? They were lying about masks. They were lying about herd immunity. They were lying about natural immunity. They were lying about the vaccine stopping transmission. They were lying about the vaccine stopping contraction. They were lying about the gain of function. They were lying about funding gain of function. They were lying about where the where the uh, where the virus originated. They would call you a racist if they if you said that. So when they start with, they pulled a racist card, you know you're over the target, right? Uh, so it just happened with me with a, a American politician, Nina Turner, said I was anti-Black. I'm like, I got her. She's defending the FBI. And as soon as I called her out for that, she called me anti-Black. And nobody believed it, just like nobody believed. Hashtag me too from the Young Turks. So uh, that's the COVID narrative. And as soon as I looked into it there, and they're still lying at every turn. And now we know it causes more myocarditis than COVID does. So there, it has what they call negative efficacy, meaning if you take the vaccine, you are worse off than if you didn't take the vaccine. You know, in 1976 or seven, when they had the swine flu, one out of every person who got the swine flu vaccine had an advert re a reaction, uh, a side of serious side well, effect. Sorry, one one of one in a hundred thousand, and they pulled that vaccine. In 1999, there was the rotavirus vaccine. One in 10,000 had an adverse event. They pulled that vaccine. One in 800 
have an adverse event from this COVID-19 vaccine. One in 800, and they're recommending it to everybody. That's how corrupt everybody is in the United States and elsewhere, corrupted by big pharma money. And you know how we found out that the vaccine didn't stop transmission or contraction, which is the basis of a fucking vaccine mandate, which is the basis of everything Justin Trudeau was doing with the truckers. And you know how we found out? Not a scientist going through the data because the FDA wasn't going to release the vaccine trial data for 75 years. That's how corrupt the FDA is in the United States. They wouldn't release the vaccine trial data for 75 years. And when I saw that, I was like, I bet you Pfizer killed Kennedy. So the point is, <laughs> so they were, so, and what, how did we find out that the vaccine didn't stop transmission or contraction? A the question in Europe. European and the European Union, not a scientist, but an executive at Pfizer was asked, did you guys ever test to see if it stopped transmission? And she said, no, we never tested it. So they all knew, meaning everybody at Pfizer, everybody at the FDA, Fauci, Collins, they all knew that this vaccine didn't do what they said it did, that there was no scientific basis for it to be implemented as a mandate, and that it probably had negative efficacy. And so they all lied. And who would have thought that the people in Big Pharma and their minions in the government would lie just because they've lied at every turn for the last 40 fucking years? They got half the country hooked on heroin and Oxycontin. They got they put asbestos and baby powder. And then when it got found out they just sold it to poor people. They put fucking AIDS in blood thinners that they gave to fucking poor countries and they knew it had AIDS. These are that they put Vioxx. They knew it was going to kill more people with heart attacks than save, but they would make $6 billion. These are the people you weren't allowed to question during COVID. And if you did, you were called an anti-vaxxer, anti-science person who was doing their own research. Remember how they would shame you for trying to get informed about an experimental medical treatment? They would call it, don't do your own research. You know, before COVID, doing your own research used to be called reading. So that's how bad the propaganda got. They now got people to shame you for reading, and they pretended like you were the anti-intellectual for fucking reading. I've never seen anything like this in my life. You wouldn't tell that to anybody about any other subject. Hey, I'm going to go buy a car. Don't look into it. What? How will I know what car to get? Listen. (laughs) Listen to the salesman. But Jimmy, I, I look, if I'm thinking it, other people are thinking it. You had your healthy dose of, dose of skepticism. And by the way, we're on the same boat on this, minus the vax injury, touch wood. Um, uh, we, we were, you, you're probably more skeptical than me, but you had the skepticism. You knew this stuff. The government lies, big pharma lies. And yet, how, I mean, what do you chalk up getting whipped into the frenzy of fear right. that you, I, and others got whipped up into? Like I said, because there was no other alternative voices that I had access to. They were suppressing them. I didn't realize they were suppressing them. And then as soon as I got injured and my doctor told me about ivermectin, and that's when I realized. And then Joe Rogan had Dr. Robert Malone on the show. And so I thought that I was nervous about the vaccine because I knew there were no long-term studies. And I knew, but I in my head, I was taking a bigger risk of getting COVID than a risk from the vaccine. I'd never, I'd had all my vaccines before. I never was vaccine injured. So I thought this one would be okay too. Of course I was wrong. So that's the thinking that went into it. What's, um, and that's, I mean, it's an interesting way of putting it. Like I, I knew of the one in a million risks like G- Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, right. I don't know if it could provoke shingles, but you know, the, the one in a million, um, which are, which are universal to all vaccines, which is my thought process. If I, and I say it now, 
had I known, and, and apparently myocarditis is like still one, you know, something that affects all potential all vaccines. Had I known the risks now that that they knew back in the day because they had that same clinical trial that they reassess now, I probably wouldn't have. I mean, probably I would not have done it in a million years. Um, so it's, it is an interesting thing. Like I, I didn't think a vaccine could be super risky. I mean, I, I knew that they had their inherent risks, which were one in a million. But what are your lingering effects now from the uh, from the injury? But just so you know, these are not vaccines the way you well, think. Of I, them, right? And I should say, I call it the Jibby Jab because I refuse to, you know, oh, what's the name? Bill Gates comes out yesterday and says, the vaccines, uh, they don't block transmission. They don't last very long and they're not very efficacious. So I treat it like, oh, so you mean it's not a vaccine then? I mean, what the hell is it? Sorry, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that's what people conflate. They're conflating like, well, vaccines have done so much good. Well, this isn't a vaccine. And that's what people aren't explaining. That's why they had to change the definition of what a vaccine is. It went from it creates immunity to a virus to it creates an immune response to a virus, which are two totally different things. And what I say, I'm not saying that the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't work, but we all got the COVID vaccine and then we all got COVID. Could you imagine if we all got the polio vaccine and then we all got polio? I'd be like, I don't think that polio vaccine works. Why do you say that, Jimmy? Because I got fucking polio. <laughs> oh, really? And then they'll say, somebody go, well, it's not supposed to stop you from getting it. It's just supposed to stop the symptoms from being so severe. And then I'd be like, oh, then I guess it works. Then I guess it really works. I and mean, what, what the fuck kind of bullshit gaslighting? <laughs> Sorry, that's not, it's not funny, but it, that is the nature of humor is, yeah, oh, I, I got a mild case of polio. Oh, but now it's, a mild case. And, um, who's the guy that's married? I, I, I asked his name last night. I can't remember. Married to Mika Brzezinski. Oh, Joe uh, Scarborough just did nothing Joe. but misinformation. He's still passing that thing off because you get a flu shot to help someone else. There's no sign. You do, you do not do that for someone else. You get a flu shot for yourself. He, and, and and he just got, he said he was complaining about a bad oh. bout of COVID three months down because he didn't get the fourth shot. He didn't get the second booster. Um, Jimmy, there's a well, lot of this. Oh, oh sorry. Go what ahead. People don't know is that Robert Malone told me on my show, he said, we don't know what the effect of these mRNA vaccines are going to have on your immune system because we tested it once and it had a positive response. It That doesn't mean that if one is good, two is better and three is great. You could have you could have one is good, two is bad, three is horrible. You don't have any idea. It could turn off your immune system, which is what's happening to some people like Joe Scarborough, because when Joe Scarborough got COVID, he got the easy version, Omicron, and it wiped him out for three months. And that's because he had two shots and a booster. And so headline in New York Times, that's I'm not making this up. They said Israeli Israeli scientists fear that more boosters would make your immune Absolutely. system worse. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly that's what that guy, Gert Vandenberg, has been saying since the beginning. And that's what we're finding out now. They just did another study that the more boosters you take if you take this last one you are more likely to get covid than the people who are unvaccinated they hid that data from the fda and now it's just coming out of course they've been lying at every turn but now it's too late because everybody in hollywood and everybody they think i'm anti-vax jimmy because that's what they've been told and now when the they're going to have amnesia when everybody because it's going to take a couple of years for everybody to realize the amount of lying that has happened well, that, hoax that has been pulled on people. We were never at a threat from this virus. It was only a threat to elderly people, people with comorbidities and the obese. It was never a threat to children. It was never a threat to healthy people. And we never should have taken this fucking vaccine. And, and if anybody thinks Jimmy's being hyperbolic now, uh, Bill Gates 
there's a clip of him saying the exact same thing. We knew that it affected the elderly, and uh, it had already, and, and you know, there had been too much international travel for lockdowns to work. Uh, Jimmy, I'm going to read this one because this was the super chat from Marty Smith fan Sue. I too was injured just like him, only I'm not better, cannot hold my head up, severe neck pain, stiff, now tachycardia, which I know means a heart rate over 100, uh, continuously full body pain, fatigue. I am a JM Gold member and locals, uh, Viva Barn, S. Laird. Oh, hey, how's it going? Ask JD if he still has neck issues, what helped him the most fighting yes. for SSD. Yes, I still, my neck hurts every day. It never goes away. And every time I turn like this, it's, I can't turn all the way. I don't have the range of mo- motion I used to. Uh, yeah, and I'll still get waves of exhaustion, shit like that. And who knows what, when I have something go wrong with me, now I don't know where it comes from. I know I had 180 over 120 blood pressure for months. I know I, when I walked up the steps to go out my yard, I would be short of breath. I, you know, I mean, again, um, do I still, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. There's no long-term studies on this, but no, I'm not out of the woods. I still have this horrible uh, neck ache all the time. I'm going to bring this one up. I don't know what, I don't know who the person is. Uh, when will you bear the hatchet with Alex? We'll, 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 we'll see about that. No hatchet. no hatchet to bear. I don't have any problems with Alex. I have no problems with him. Uh, what happened happened because of an incident and him trolling. It had nothing to do with how I feel about him or think about him. I have no grudge. No, oh, no. And, and actually, that wasn't the one I meant to bring up. I wanted to bring up this one. Ask Jimmy about Gavin Eugene Long. Okay, no, we've talked about this. I don't know who that is. Don't worry. I don't want to talk about it. We, we've done enough Young Turks. Um, Jimmy, this is my question. Uh, I, I think. I mean, I know the answer to some extent, but I, it's a segue into universal healthcare because I'm, I'm trying to think of ideologically where where you and what is considered the right don't align conceptually. I mean, I, I think other than specific policy issues, everyone's against. For, everyone is pro free speech, against censorship, um, against big government, against government lies, against foreign war. Um, how do you how do you see yourself politically? I mean, the, the left and the right, I know you believe is a, is a fi- false dichotomy because it's part and parcel of the same machine. But how do you qualify yourself politically? I would just say I'm a populist. That's that's how I would look at I'm a populist. And uh, cons- I, w- I would be considered an ultra lefty or a radical lefty in by today's standards, you know. But the real radicals are the people who run the political parties. You know, if, if Joe Biden was a politician anywhere in Europe, he would could be considered a radical right winger because he's against universal health care. And over there, nobody actually runs on that. Right. So uh, I'm not the radical. They are. And that so I would just consider myself a populist. Second Amendment. What's your position on that? So I'm I've gone back and forth on it. So I'm a minute I go back and I've been back and forth on it. But here's the interesting thing. Right. So people say you need guns to protect yourself from the tyranny of the government. And I, I, I believe that. I think that is true, except they never use it. They said they they said they you they you know if the, when the government's going to come for our rights we got to have guns to protect it. Well, the government came for your rights and they already took them. You don't have we don't have habeas corpus. They repealed that. Barack Obama repealed that in the National Defense Authorization Act in like 2011. So they can throw you in prison indefinitely without a trial. The habeas corpus was in the Magna Carta. So we're operating on a liberty view in the United States from before the 11 fucking hundreds. That's the kind of the, so um, I'm not the radical. They're the radical. And um, I'm for stuff that most people agree on. Ending the wars, a living wage, healthcare that doesn't bankrupt us, uh, not, not having money out of politics. Having, I would, I'm for nat- national funding of elections. 
uh, that would save us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, look, and and this, so you, you would view the Second Amendment as self-defense. Um, oh, so the point is they came for your rights and the people with the Second Amendment guns, they didn't use them. They took away your Fourth Amendment right. They, You have no right. So our Fourth Amendment means that the government, you are secure in your papers and articles and in your property, meaning the government has to get a warrant if they want to look at your private books or if they want to come in your house and look shit. They have to go to a judge and prove there's a reasonable suspicion that this guy is doing nefarious shit and they have to prove it to a judge in America. Well, that's over. They collect every email, every text, and every phone call the NSA has stored in a fucking digital database. And so that's why when Tucker Carlson was trying to get in touch with Vladimir Putin, he wanted to interview him because that's what news journalists do. Uh, he found out from a buddy inside the NSA that they had, they knew he was doing that. He's like, hey, are you reaching out to the Russians? And he's like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we've got these texts that you're trying to get in touch with these. And so they're do- they're going to release that to blackmail him. Right. So this is the world we're living in right now. So then my point is to the people who are Second Amendment uh, supporters, you say you want that to protect yourself from the tyranny of the government. The government already took away your fucking freedom. You live in a surveillance state. And how come you're not using your guns to take your rights back? So it's not about the guns, about the rights. It's just about the guns. They just like guns. Now, I'm to the idea that we're never going to get rid of guns in America. There's more guns than people. And so I was I so my whole thing is I'm willing to let go of my opposition to the Second Amendment if people are willing to let go of their opposition to socialized medicine. So okay, that's, I that, well, that's and that's that's, 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 that's the because and I'm coming from Canada where look I I I, I now understand the Second Amendment arguments, uh, but I compare it to Canada where forget Second Amendment we don't even have the right to own not even firearms, anything for the purpose of self-defense. And so I, I, I know that I, I, by Canadian standards, I'm much more to the right. And by some, I'm not even sure that I would be to the left by some American standards. I, I now uh, don't want to see the government taking people's firearms because they don't do anything good with the power they have. Socialized medicine, though. I'm always, I've always curious. I've been watching a lot. And I don't know what you mean when you say I, we want universal health care, socialized medicine. Coming from Canada, I've seen the way it goes. What is your vision of a socialized healthcare system that actually functions and that doesn't bankrupt the country to the point where the government's promoting euthanasia to save a little bit on the healthcare system. So what's bankrupting America right now is uh, the private healthcare that we have, because we pay twice as much as you guys do in Canada for shittier outcomes. So we get less healthcare, we pay twice as much for it. And that's because there's a capitalist in between me and my doctor. So my big idea is to get a capitalist out from in between me and my doctor. And just like we have, we do have a thing called Medicare in the United States, which if you reach the age of 65, then we give you what they call Medicare means you still go to your same doctor, but the government then cuts a check to your doctor instead of a capitalist who has a profit motive. And so I I'll take my chances because I can vote in or out somebody into Congress that takes care of Medicare and sending the checks. I can't vote anybody in or out of Blue Cross. In fact, they're the ones who control my congressmen now. So I'd like to get them out of control of my congressmen. And so I could have a little bit more control of my health care. And the only way to do that is to get capitalists out of it. And so in America, the most popular health care program year after year after year is Medicare. 
and their capitalists have been trying to fuck it up. They have a thing called Medicare Advantage, which is nothing but a scam that bankrupts senior citizens. So whenever you let a capitalist get in charge of your health care, they put profit motive on it and then they exploit you and give you worse care. And so look what just happened with COVID. The reason why we were jammed with these jabs instead of ivermectin hydroxychloroquine, which there are dozens and dozens and dozens of studies that show their efficacy and the doctors who are on the front line treating those people swear to it. The reason why you weren't allowed to prescribe those, in fact, you'll get disbarred if you do it, even though it's safer medicine than aspirin, is because of the profit motive in fucking medicine. And that, the, those, those vaccines should have been nationalized, no profit in them at all. We're paying for the fuck every anyway. So that's where I'm at with it. I'd say take fuck big pharma and take the profit motive out of it. Right now, people in America used to go to Canada to get their drugs cheaper because in Canada you can negotiate with big pharma for your drugs. In America, they made it illegal for big far for the Medicare. Uh, program to negotiate for lower drugs. That's how corrupt our system is in America. And still Medicare, which got passed in the 60s, is still better than any private health care plan. Now in the 60s, the what the reason why they passed Medicare for 65 and older was because the poverty rate of senior citizens in 1965 was 33%. Now, 10 years after they passed Medicare, it dropped to 11%. That's the impact that uh, socialized medicine and taking the profit motive out of medicine has. And so I'm willing to do it anyway. Like Dave Smith, his idea was he compromised with me and he said, OK, I'll let you have Medicare for all, but you do it on a state level. So we have 50 different incubators and experiments and we can see how this works. And I'm all for it. Let's do it. So it's an, it's an interesting thing. It's, I, it is very complicated because... The reason why we might have met, uh, drugs at cheaper in Canada is because we don't have the problems that you have in the States. But the reason why we have those drugs in Canada is because of the profit motive for uh, research and development in the United States. Um, my, my experience with it has been we pay up. I'm paying out the wazoo for health insurance here, but I was paying out the wazoo for, for taxes to fund a public health care system in Canada, which just sucks. So I was paying for it one way or the other, whether I used it or didn't. But by the time I had to use it, it sucks so bad that you had literally people dying in the waiting rooms of the ERs uh, across Canada, which some people tell me there is here as well. But you know, the one time I went to the hospital here, I didn't see it. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, it's a tough one, I just, but it's interesting to see the perspective. I just think there's a, there's a certain fantasizing about what it looks like in Canada. Yeah, the medication is cheaper in Canada, but it might only exist in Canada because of the R&D motivation to develop it in the States. But you don't want to be in the ER in, in Canada free or not because it's not free and it sucks once you need it so um can i, can I so can I, let me just make one point about um oh god damn it what was the point i was going to make Healthcare, uh, r d yeah. profit motive while you do that i'll bring this one up because it's flattery everyone likes flattery some of the people suffer from tds and door derangement syndrome jimmy speaks too much of the truth. Jimmy is Viva's brother from another mother. I was surprised when I found out you were not uh, from a Jewish household. I was thinking maybe we have relatives that go back, uh, you know, back in the day. And then I saw your history. It was, uh, it, it's and you you remind me of my best friend's father and my labor law professor in university, both of whom I, I feel like I've known you for longer than I've known you. Uh, the last time That's I saw right. hair that curly, it was poking out of my. Let me just go ahead. Thank you very much uh, for that, Jimmy. Has your has your memory been jogged? No. Okay. Well, um, proudest moment of your professional career? Oh, I, it has been job. <laughs> okay, good. I'm going to remember that question. Go. So 
I'll, I'll give you an example because everybody says, oh, I don't want socialized medicine because they're, you have to wait. They ration care. You have to wait. So in America, uh, that you have health insurance by private corporations, and then those private corporations that give you health insurance, they have then networks of doctors that you can only go to that they'll recognize and reimburse you for. So I had a gallbladder attack, and I don't know if you've ever had a gallbladder attack, but I was sure I was dying. Yeah. Right. I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I was like, oh, well, it wasn't. It was gallbladder. So they they fixed me. They gave me a shot, and they go, oh, it's a gallbladder attack. So I was like, all right. So uh, about a month went by, maybe two months went by, and I had another gallbladder attack. And I was sure this was it. I was going to die. This is it. And um, so I, I never wanted to go through that again. That was so unbelievable pain that I was like, okay, I'm going to have the operation. I'm going to get my gallbladder out. Mm -hmm. And so I contacted a surgeon in my network and I couldn't even get an appointment to meet a surgeon, not to get the operation for a month. So I could, I had to wait a whole nother month just to get a meeting. And then I'd probably have to wait another month to get a surgery. So I had to wait at least two months to get a, a gallbladder operation. And I was in fear of it happening again. Cause I know it was going to happen again. And I was, I was, didn't know. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm in America. I can't even get a goddamn appointment for Dude, a two month. Months Two months is nothing in Canada. You're on a waiting list of like two years to get a GP. I mean, this is where like we're comparing shit and shit here. But it sounds okay. like you have it pretty good down here. <laughs> so, so anyway, I had to go out of network to get a doctor, a surgeon that would come. So I had to pay out of my pocket to go to and I had to pay way extra for that. So that's it's I'm just saying it's a it's a bad system. Uh, we ha we have enough money to take care of everybody. This idea that healthcare is going to bankrupt yeah. us. No, what's going to bankrupt us is endless wars. That's what's actually bankrupting us. Th that's where I, where no rational person can disagree. Say we don't have enough money for healthcare. How you send trillions or you spend trillions on defense. You spend, you send trillions to Ukraine, but no, we don't have enough for the homeless and, and, and Medicare at home. That's where the argument falls apart. Like, okay, you don't want to call it nat whatever, nationalized healthcare or, or he Medicare for all. Stop spending so much on defense. Oh, but then, but then America's going to get taken over by China. Um, and then th that argument only goes so far. Um, Jimmy, we, we're going to have to leave something to talk about for the next time America, we do this. America, but... got America got taken over by China a long time ago. And that's I, I, the joke. That's the real joke. I remember joke. My, my dad saying it when we were growing up. He said, Nobody, you, nobody's paying attention to this right now. In a generation, China's going to be in charge and America will not be. Um, for okay, proudest moment, the, your most your most proud accomplishment of your career. Um, I would I used to say it was the two thousand eight uh, Citizen Jimmy special, which was chosen best of the year by Comedy Central because everybody told me not to do it. Don't talk about politics, Jimmy. Don't talk about politics. You're going to split the room. You're not going to get bookings. You're not going to get recovery. You're not going to get on TV. You're not going to get Baba. Well, I did get on TV and I did get an hour special and it didn't it chosen best of the year by iTunes and Punchline Magazine. So that used to be it. But now my greatest accomplishment is bringing people together instead of being a divider and divisive and hating on my neighbor. I'm setting the example and template for how to join with your neighbor 
because you are the same and you share a common enemy. And so to me, when I look out at my crowd, when I do the road and there's a room full of people and there's all different types, there's lefties, there's righties, there's libertarians, there's Trumpers, there's socialists, there's there's a black, there's white. I'm thrilled because it looks just like that. And even I remember I went to see George Carlin and his audience looked like that. And there was even a priest I saw one time and I had a George Carlin. I was like, God damn it. This, if I could do something like this, I don't know how at the time I was like, how would I do something like this? But it did. I remember I was in Philadelphia recently and there was a, a table of Hasidic Jews came out to see me on purpose. So I have a really, you know, people try to shame me for that. They go, Oh, Jimmy Dore, you got to half your audience is right wingers. And I'm like, you say that like that's an insult. What you're literally saying is Jimmy's message has broad appeal. I'm not going to apologize for that. Fantastic. And uh, I'll bring this one up because it's a good on point. Kevin Brady, I'm a libertarian, but I often watch Jimmy and others because I need to hear opposing views. I do often see we align on many things. The world is a better place with Jimmy here. Keep on keeping on. So and now what are you doing? Because I, I, I'm, I'm fabricating memories. I know that I saw your show on Rumble, but now I think the long show is behind a paywall. And the clips are free for everybody. What, what, what is your platform looking like now? So our show airs live as it happens, but you can't rewind. And uh, when it's when the live stream is over, it immediately goes to private, and that becomes available to our members, our premium members. So, but we post on Rockfin, we post on YouTube, we post on. Uh, Rumble, we post on Rumble before we post anywhere else. So that's part of our deal with Rumble that we have. So oftentimes we'll post a, a couple of hours, if not a couple of days on Rumble ahead of our YouTube postings. Uh, are you on Locals? Not yet. I'm redoing my website. I'm trying to figure out how to do my premium program. But I hear Locals is really, it works for people. I will I will message you privately afterwards and give you a name. It, locals okay. is, I mean, lo Locals and Rumble they're they're integrated as well because you know Rumble uh, Locals is sort of a what's the word not an affiliate it's um it's it's it was bought merged with Rumble and so there's 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 intertwining structure there that it's very useful okay we'll talk about that afterwards Jimmy I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover um, uh, is there anything that I that you wanted to add that I might have forgotten to ask <laughs> I th I think you covered all of it and. So you, you talk every day, you, you are, you know, other than being a comedian and other being, you know, rowdy, you are effectively a comedian journalist that you, you, you dive into the stories, you get the people on. What do you have on the, uh, on the horizon for stories uh, that you're going to be covering in the coming days or weeks? Well, I, I just take it as it comes, but it seems like the COVID narrative is turning in a strong way. And thank God that Pfizer stopped advertising on Twitter. So now you can tell the truth about the vaccine and COVID on Twitter, which is the only social media platform you can do that on now. But so and that's the one that journalists go on the most. So that's the one that's going to have a lot of influence. And so. Uh, People are starting to see that we've been lied to about the COVID narrative on a level that is hard to comprehend. And so I'll be uh, I'll be exposing that more and more as we go along. You know, I got a strike from YouTube for telling the truth. I said the vaccine doesn't stop transmission or contraction. And I was the first one to say that on YouTube. And they gave me a strike and took down five of my videos for it, even though it's correct. So yeah, again, well, it's a you don't get in trouble for lying. You get in trouble for telling the truth that the establishment doesn't want you to tell. Well, that's it. it, it, it uh, I, the technique or the tactic I've developed, I don't know if it works by by design or by luck. Whenever I, you know, when I make an affirmation, I make sure to include the link of either Bill Gates, a doctor saying the same thing. So no one can, can accuse me of offering medical advice. Um, and now I just had a thought, but I totally, totally. So, oh, yeah, sorry. Have you heard about the, did you watch uh, Project Veritas's latest video? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, 
Isn't it amazing the kind of shit that Bajak Veritas is able to? Who who are these idiots who's going to say who keep talking on kids? Jimmy, it's like if if you cannot keep your schmeckle in your pants, you do dumb things. Like you're trying to impress, and people are saying, well, he what he's just trying to impress a date. Okay, uh, I'm not so convinced about that. Or they, you know, they give him alcohol. You impress the date by letting them know you're doing fucking nefarious (laughs) medical experiments that are maybe she maybe the truth. Maybe they're into that. It's like they're into sadomasochism and like, you know, jab me one more time, uh, Mr. Pfizer exec. It's nuts. But I don't know if you saw the the the, the, the really interesting part today. Daily Mail posted, uh, published an article talking about Project Veritas. The, just, just going through the video and then deleted it from the interwebs. But it was archived first. And I just, I'm asking the journalist, like, I just confirmed, did you guys delete this? I won't even ask why. I just want to make sure I'm not getting duped. I'm not getting duped. It's a legit archived link. Uh, I'll, I'll flip you that. It's 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 definitely to look into. Um, Jimmy, stay around. Stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes here. I know I got some chats that I didn't get to, uh, but I, I think we've we've gotten to all of the questions. I'm going to go to our our, our locals. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. Uh, I wish Jimmy would open up a little and tell us how he really feels. I think that's sarcasm. That was from Mr. Mike. Mr. Mike. Oh no, this is from Mr. Mike. Please ask Jimmy. If he's following the Crowder fiasco, got to that. But you should look into that. But I, it's it's just fighting for the sake of fighting. I think everyone's expressed their opinion on it. Ask him to comment on Scott Abrams. He tweeted him. And then let's grab the popcorn. Did we talk about Scott Abrams? Scott Adams. Oh, Scott Adams. But did it say Scott Adams? I'm flipping dyslexic. And I wrote... I, I, Scott I Adams. Know. So he's the guy who does... He's that Dilbert creator. Yeah. Oh, yeah I fo- well, I followed him until he blocked us. It, it said Scott Adams. Yes. Everybody... Uh, I, still, I still like Dilbert. Uh... But he's, you know, it's funny, a guy like Scott Adams, he, he acts on the outside the way you're, I'm constantly trying to suppress, right? So, like, he's smug and arrogant and condescending. And, you know, you always want, I want to act like that, but <laughs> he just lets himself do it, which is hilarious. And, of course, he's wrong. He's wrong about COVID. And because he's got some kind of personality disorder, he has to admit he was wrong in a way that still makes him right. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, but that's what he's doing. And he's calling the people who got it right. He's calling us anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. This isn't a vaccine. I'm anti this medical experimental treatment with no long-term studies. I'm not anti-vax. Did, did he block you? No, he hasn't blocked me yet. I did a video about him. It got oh, like 300,000 views or something. So maybe he's afraid that I'll you know, keep not a, he's not afraid, uh, Jimmy. He blocked Robert Barnes, my uh, Sunday night partner, and he blocked me by ricochet because he didn't want to be exposed to anything Robert said by me retweeting it. So uh, he's not shy about that. And that question was from, um, oh, son of a beast, uh, until empty. I forget, I lost it anyhow. You know, I don't think um, he, I don't think Scott Adams is evil or fucking, I don't think he's dumb. I don't think he's anything. I just think that it's, uh, you know, you it's he's transparent and he doesn't realize it. I think a lot of people have been duped. A lot of people have uh, realized now that they've compromised not only themselves, but potentially the well-being of their children. Um, and they have to not internalize. They have to shield themselves. They have to build a defense mechanism from the, the, how wrong they were and how exposed they, they, they may have made themselves and the ones they love who they were supposed to be protecting. He's trying to make it look like if you were skeptical, properly skeptical and pushed back and did your own research and exposed the lies of the COVID narrative. He tries to make it look like you just got lucky, like it was just a flip of the coin for us. Oh yeah, no, no, or, or no, it was reflexive. You, 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 without thought, doubted the government, but you were right this time. I, I think, you know what, it, it, going forward, I will never without 
uh, I will never not reflexively doubt the government. N never again. Would I, and my biggest issue, and this is like I said, yeah, I said vaxes, thinking it was still something of a vaccine, even though Johnson and Johnson used a different technology than Moderna and Pfizer. I say, well, they can only be so bad, right? And now I'm learning. <laughs> I know. How how much harm? It's a little fluid. How much harm? Well, if the, you know, now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing it. So there are more people dying now from quote unquote excess deaths, meaning non-COVID deaths, not attributable to COVID. There are more people dying now than were dying during the height of COVID. And they're not they're not talking about it on the news because it's probably the link is between those vaccines and this excess death. And of course, the news is funded by big farmers, so they're never going to talk about it. And they got to talk about it on shows like this or talk about John Campbell or my show on YouTube. And you got to do it in a way that uh, makes sure they don't take your channel down. No, and that's it. And, and and whether or not, like some people say, well, it's not, it's not, it's not the vax. It's just you know, uh, two years of stress, unemployment. Uh, yeah. uh, was and first of all, people were saying that from the beginning. People were saying like you know, a, a percentile increase in unemployment translates into tens of thousands of excess deaths a year. Right. So, vaccine or policy, it's the government. They're to blame. And my goodness, do they have to answer some questions, which they never will. Jimmy. I'm going to end it here. You stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone in the chat, thank you very much, uh, Jimmy. Thank you very much. This was phenomenal. Um, hopefully we can do it again. And uh, everyone out there, Jimmy, what what is your platform? When do you air? And what's your Rumble channel? I almost forgot. It's just, it's just Jimmy Dore. Go, go to jimmydore.com. And then on YouTube, it's the Jimmy Dore Show. Rumble, same thing, the Jimmy Dore Show. That's it. All right. Awesome. Everybody, I'll put the links in the pinned comment. Anyhow, see you all tomorrow. Jimmy, stick around. Everyone else, peace out.